let's crack open a beer and share some thoughts. Welcome to Opinions, and we are back in our secret bunker in London, aren't we? It is, the secret bunker which a few more people are getting to know about now, Steve. So it's not a so secret anymore, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sense, when you guys described it as such in the last episode, I was like, oh, where could that be? And now I'm in it. And listeners would have guessed by now that we're not alone. Um, we are joined uh, this week by Natalia Watson from Beer with Matt. Matt Hello. Welcome to the uh, Opinions podcast. And the secret bunker. And the secret bunker. Yeah. Thank um, you for having me. How does it feel being on the other side of the of the podcasting table? It is a bit strange, I have to say. This is totally new to me. I've never been on someone else's podcast, so I'm always the one asking the questions. So it'll be quite interesting to have to answer them myself. And um, she has turned up with more notes than anyone else has ever guessed. It's it. brilliant. I've never seen so much preparation for one of our shows. <laughs> I mean, this is even putting us to show. Yeah. <laughs> I think for me, I'd always rather have more prepared, even with my questions for my guests. The first time I did my interview, I had four pages of questions and was like, yeah, I'm trying to aim for a 30 minute podcast. This did your interviewee look at you going, 30 minutes, four pages? Yeah, exactly. Well, it was Jacob. And so I didn't know what I was doing. She didn't really know what she was getting herself in for. So I'm very grateful to her for giving me the time and just, you know, running with it when it was this whole new thing. And now I'm on episode 28 that comes out this week. Thank you very much for bringing so much rich paper with notes on it. We're just going to sit back now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it is, it. It's basically going to be beer with Nat. <laughs> yeah, it's going to take up the show today and get your guys' thoughts. Exactly. Uh, but it wouldn't be the usual show without uh, a beer and glass. And uh, I've already poured a, a beer for the three of us. So we've got Jaunty, an Amarillo IPA at 6.4% from Broaden and Build Brewing Company. And uh, listeners uh, who, are, who have been paying attention will know that we've already tasted a beer from this brewery once before. And it was donated to us by Terry, uh, who is the, uh, goes under the sign Greyhound1 on Twitter. So thank you very much, Terry, for the second can. So let's get into this. Cheers. Oh dear. Cheers. Welcome, Matt. Cheers. Thank you. It's like fruit squash on the nose again, isn't it? Yeah. I'm picking up like overripe fruits, mandarin. I just had some mandarin oranges mm-hmm. this weekend and like you kind of get that, that sharpness and the sweetness and those really lovely orange essences. More orangey than I would expect for this style. And a little bit of pineapple too, I think. Definitely getting the, the orangey sort of more mandarin type notes. Um, but it hasn't what it hasn't got it's not it's not overtly sweet yeah on the flavor that's that's quite a nice refreshing change as well and and we should say that this is probably getting towards the very close to the best before day i wouldn't know though yeah it's held up really well hasn't it yeah you know we've i've kept it in the beer cupboard slash cellar at home but it has i think it's lasted really well um so a little bit on the uh on the back of the can a juicy IPA that really emphasises these Oregon-grown Amarillo hops with orange and apricot notes that won't disappoint. So yeah, uh, it doesn't say too much else on there, 6.4% as I said, um, but I'm actually really enjoying that. Yeah. It's really nice, so thank you again, Terry. Yeah, I, I, I do feel already from that opening descriptor though that we're going to put, be put to absolute shame with our tasting notes I'm not, descri- I'm not describing anything <laughs> I, else I, I'm not, I'm, I'm just like, I feel completely inadequate now. Well, if we agree <laughs> now, if we agree now, Steve, do you like the beer? Yes or no? And then yeah. you can ask me, and then we'll let Nat. Uh, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I'll wait, I'll go yeah. last. <laughs> Job I'm done. Really, I'm working quite hard to, to take the flavor descriptors to the next level. I think where I am at with my certifications and things, it's 
working on using words that aren't just beer words. So instead of describing something as hoppy and malty, finding the actual food ingredients or drink ingredients that we can use that bring these flavors to life for people who maybe aren't as into beer as we are. And yeah, thinking about the everyday things that we eat and drink can be really helpful to be able to describe beers. I'm just pleased it said orange on the back of the can. I'm like, yes, yes. I got it. <laughs> no, no, I got, got one of them. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, saw a little fist pump there. It's always yeah, quite nice when it is, but it is quite nice when you do pick out some of those descriptors that the brewers use themselves, isn't yeah. it? So I do, I do understand what you're saying, but that's really, really refreshing, actually. So while we're enjoying this, um, let's turn the tables on you a little bit, Nat, because um, obviously normally on, on, on your podcast, you're, you're the one asking the questions yeah. and asking about people's background and how they got to where they, that they, they are. So um, Nat, tell us about your background and how you got to where you are <laughs> right, right now. Sure. Um, so I teach people about beer for a living, which when I say that to people, they're kind of like, is that a real thing? And I think for me as well, I'm still figuring it out what that looks like as a career. But essentially, I, I got into beer thanks to some friends when I was in grad school. So my background is that I studied microbiology at UCLA, and I thought I was going to go save the world from infectious disease. So the fact that there's a an outbreak at the moment is very interesting to me based on what I've studied and kind of I like to stay in touch with the public health world as I went from my micro degree into getting my master's in public health, specifically infectious disease and vaccinology, and my focus there was on food safety. It was at the time when books like uh, Michael Pollan's The Omnivore's Dilemma and the documentary Food Inc. came out, and it was just really looking at the U.S. food system and the many flaws in it, and for me, I just got really fascinated and wanted to know more. So use my micro degree to then be able to talk to people about food safety so I could sit into worlds essentially, understand the science and talk to the scientists, but then figure out a way to translate it to non-scientists to get them paying attention to the cause, engaged in the cause, interested in the cause and want to make a difference. At the time when I was in school, we had to, it was a two year program and we had to uh, do an internship. So I went to Washington DC and I worked for a consumer organization called the Center for Science and the Public Interest there I was working on food safety policy. I thought I wanted to go work for the FDA or the USDA, both of our federal departments that have to deal with food safety in the states. And I realized that policy just moves so slowly. It was not for me at all. I was not into politics. So I came back to school for my last year, realized that I wanted my focus to be on communications and realizing that the way to make a difference in a much faster way is through the market. So I finished my degree uh, in public health I moved across the country to New York. I had no job at the time, uh, and I was just trying to find a way to talk to people about food safety and nutrition. The only people who care about food safety and nutrition in America are new parents. Uh, so I got a job at an organic baby food company. I started in customer service, then I moved up into marketing manager over three years there, and really it was just the perfect job for me to be able to use all of this knowledge as to how our products are made and talk to the QA team about what we're doing to keep a product safe, and then translate that to, to new parents. Uh, and make them feel reassured and part of the brand and you know that we were getting the right information out to them. So during that time, knowing that I just kind of like being in this role of one foot in both worlds, when I was in grad school, some friends introduced me to beer and I was like, no, 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 I'm here to study. I'm not gonna go home and drink. We had this great pizza place right near us called Bobby G's in Berkeley. And I did not know how good I had it then. There was a beer called Deschutes Mirror Pond from Deschutes Brewery, a really kind of classic American pale ale that they had on draft all the time. Then the other one they had on draft all the time was Pliny the Elder. Like, how lucky am I? And I really did you not know. You can leave now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really did not know how good I had it. 
so uh, they introduced me to beer there, and I kind of it just opened my mind. I think I had always drank beer. My parents are from Northern Ireland. I grew up there as a kid. Like Guinness was in the house at all times. Um, but understanding this world of flavor was really new and interesting. Then I again moved to New York, and the friend I was living with there was in gra- in dental school and just working crazy hours. So I didn't know all that many people, and I kind of used beer as my way to get to know the city. And I would go to new breweries and bars and bottle shops all the time. And I kind of fell into this beer community and met amazing people, discovered interesting beers. So after three years in New York, I decided I would try and get into beer myself. And that was in 2015. So I moved to London. I thought I would be here for four months. I was just going to work at a bar, and the plan was to move to Seattle and try and open my own beer bar. It's been four and a half years, and I'm still here. (laughs) So that didn't go to plan. Um, I got my start at Mother Kelly's. I had two cousins living here, again, growing up in Northern Ireland. I'm a British citizen, so I was able to move here. Lived on my cousin's floor for a good while. Thank you again, Megan and Lauren, for putting up with me. And uh, then I met the Crafty Beer Girls through Mother Kelly's. Then I found out about a job at Duval, got the job at Duval. At the time, it was a, a sales operations role. It morphed into a marketing role whenever budget came through for marketing. So then I became the marketing manager. Duval very kindly supported me in my beer education, just kind of knowing I wanted to know everything I could. I went for my certified Cicerone, I went for my beer sommelier, and then I left Duval last year to go out on my own. And I loved teaching people about Duval's beers, but I got to a point where I was like, I don't just want to talk about Duval, I want to talk about every beers to everyone. Uh, And then that's what set me off on a path to focus on beer education. So I wrote a book about the history of beer that comes out this month. I passed my advanced Cicerone, so that's the third level of the Cicerone certification program. I'm one of nine people in the UK to have that. I'm one of three who are both beer sommeliers and advanced Cicerones. And uh, yeah, I spend my days teaching people about beer. I like to say I think that beer is simply too delicious to remain undiscovered. So I just want to do my part to get everybody to find their favorite. I like that closing phrase there. Yeah. yeah. Beer is too good to be undiscovered. Yeah. That's, that's a good tagline, that one. And I think for so much of us, it is a journey of discovery. You know, you start somewhere and you're like, oh, where did those flavors come from? And then you try the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And you just realize how much there is to learn and explore and fall in love with. And I think for me, that's why I feel like I found my thing. And I know there's so much to learn that it will keep me here for a long time. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, that background is massively interesting. It's kind of, it's, it's one of those incredible journeys, yeah. yeah. starting with microbiology and yeah. ending up basically teaching people about beer. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's a lovely tie-in that I didn't realize. At the time, I remember learning about tequila. That was the one thing in class. Of course, it was mostly focused on microorganisms and infectious disease. Um, but I remember the professor talking about that we need microorganisms to make tequila as it's a fermented beverage, fermented and then distilled. And... Uh, I never realized then that what I was studying could lead me to beer, but now when I do my studies and I read the yeast book and I dig into Britannomyces and things like that, I'm like, oh wow, yeah, what I learned in organic chemistry and in biology courses is also relevant, so it's quite cool. And what I discover from a lot of people on my podcast too is when you hear about people's journeys and kind of the roundabout ways they got into beer, there's so many fascinating things that they didn't realize would be helpful that are really helpful to what they do in the beer world now. Yeah, there's been a lot of people, both your podcast and others, who have got some sort of science-y background. Mm-hmm. It, that's not actually that unusual, I don't think, from, our, from what I've heard yeah. from people. And it does make sense because there is so much involved in it if you're doing it properly. I can understand how what you're doing now, you can relate back to the stuff you've done in the past and the things you've learned. Yeah. There is a, there is, it's a, I mean, it's an amazing journey, but there is a synergy and a symbiosis about the various steps you've taken to end up where you are 
doing what you're doing but being able to understand the science behind it as well yeah and I think you know when you're going through it you're like what the heck where am I going next it's only looking back that it all makes sense yeah as uh, Gabe Barry from Brooklyn Brewery says you can see the through lines when you look back mm. and the string that ties everything together but when you're going forward you know when I got the customer service job at the baby food company my parents were like you just got your master's and you're working in a customer service role and I was like don't worry it'll all work out and it did all work out. So yeah, nice. I think a lot of it is just having patience and knowing the direction you're going and then that things will, will fall into place. That's fascinating. And we're, we're going to kind of dip in and out of the different things that you do um, throughout the show. Um, just going to dive into some news to start off with. First one, um, probably most relevant to you and I, mate, is, <laughs> is that it's the uh, it's the 10th anniversary of Adnam's Ghost Ship. Yeah, I feel I've been keeping it going over the 10 years. <laughs> I was massively surprised it was 10 years old. I, were you surprised it was only 10 years or... No, I was surprised it, 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 it was, was already 10 years. It was already 10 years, yeah. I was the total opposite. I was shocked it was only 10 years. Yeah, I, I really thought, thought it was a bit... A I thought it had been a bit longer yeah. than the 10. So the 10 years, I thought, I'm sure I'd had it, well, in the decade before, before that one. So yeah. you know, pre-2010, for example, but... I presume Adams know what they're talking about, so I'm going to go with their timeline, timeline yeah. on this. And it, it actually, it actually brought. Um, I was reminded of, of a memory by one of our les- one of our listeners, Granddad Greg. Um, he and I was at the Great British Beer Festival in 2010 when it was launched, and we tried it as it as it was launched, and instantly fell in love with it. So cool. it's kind of been a 10 year love affair. That's a good. That's, really that's cool. quite nice. Yeah, I didn't even realise because that was for me. That was that predated Untapped by two years. Mm. So anything I was drinking then oh, clearly didn't happen because it, 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 didn't, <laughs> it doesn't exist on Untapped. Yeah, you, you've been recording everything since twenty twelve. Not Untapped. not every single beer, but most. But most 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 new beers I, I have, um, and I actually found Untapped because of a beer that I was I was drinking at the time, and I was trying to find some more information about it, and yeah. I just searched it on on Google. Yeah, and this thing. Untapped came up and I, I clicked on the link and there I was down the rabbit hole and never 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 quite come back out again. <laughs> well, we can touch we can touch on Untapped shortly anyway. We we yeah, can exactly. and anyway back to back to the tenth <laughs> anniversary of Ghost Ship. Um, so to celebrate this, um, Adnams are going to collaborate with four craft breweries during 2020 to to create four wickedly tasty new beers. Uh, so the Ghost Ship collaboration series. Um, will be with Camden Town, who they announced they were brewing the first one with. Yeah, that was a couple of days ago, wasn't it? Um, the other three are Beaver Town, Magic Rock, and Cloudwater. So there's there's going to be collabs coming from them. And the idea is is that basically um, that they're creating beers that are in almost the not not the shadow, but in the in, in the form of ghost ships. So using similar ingredients to get to either a different style or, or something, but they're all going to be coming out around the 4.5 mark, all going to be citrus heavy as, as well. So the first one from um, Adams and Camden Town is called Camden on Sea, and it's an India Powell lager taking inspiration from ghost ship in Camden Hills. Uh, a light crisp body with clean, bitter citrus punch. Um, and that is coming in at 4.6%, 4, 4. that first one. 
point one over the normal go sheet then. Yeah, and, and I think that's going to be out very soon, if, if not already. So it's going to be available in, in cans. It's quite exciting though. That, it is exciting. Uh, I think to, to celebrate it with, and I think I'm right in saying they've collabed with all of those breweries in the past anyway. They're, well, I knew they'd definitely done the same with Cloud Rock before, hadn't they? And they've definitely done something with Magic Rock. They did, uh, I want to say it was a Saison. Oh, it was uh, one, of their fr- one of the Fresh Hop things, weren't it? Yeah. That was probably six or seven years ago now. Mm. I, don't, I don't remember them ever doing anything with Beaver Town, but I, there is a working relationship there, isn't there? So, so no, I'd be, be interested in it's, it's Again, I think this is one of those things which is quite nice for a regional brewer who you and I both really like and enjoy the beers from, and we've been up to the brewery, that kind of stuff. For them to get the chance to do this as well, it just shows that they're, they're, they're doing something right. They're managing to straddle regional, mm. traditional, as well as still doing some modern interpretation to those beers. And generally, they, they manage to be able to have feet in both camps most of the time as well, mm-hmm. especially with their fairly traditional pub state as well. Yeah. They tick a lot of boxes there. So no, I look forward to trying those. I will try to try get all of them, to be honest. I think we'll both try our best to, yeah. to get our hands on those, won't we? Hashtag one. <laughs> <laughs> Um, next up, more new beer. Um, so Thornbridge have announced that they're releasing. They're just going to list our favourite breweries' releases. At the moment. <laughs> it looks like, <laughs> yeah, uh, a new IPA um, called Shelby, which is to tie in with uh, the Peaky Blinders TV series. Um, and it looks like Thornbridge have really gone all in on this as well. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's just to tie in with the TV series. I think it also is tying in with the fact that they've now launched the the Cornwall Tap in Birmingham. In, in, in Birmingham, so which is obviously where. Peaky Blinders is yeah. set so uh, available in bottles and cask and there's even you can even get uh, a Peaky Blinder style hat as, is it a as, permanent as well. is it now a permanent because um, it's really hard with Formbridge sometimes they release they actually release quite a wide amount of beers yeah. and you don't always hear about them until they've sort of hit the shelves or the and taps and you've missed your chance and you've missed your chance yeah. I mean is it I mean given the links between uh, Thornbridge and now Birmingham and Birmingham Peaky Blinders is it going to be a what I'm asking is will it be there when we do Summer Sesh in June I don't know um, I, the, the cynical side of me would say it's probably going to be available for as long as the sponsorship deal is that they're tied into in, 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 in it um, but yes it might become a, a permanent line in, in the Colmore tap yeah, I suppose you've got to see how well it does. Yeah. Keep it up. But he's astonishing, you know, a bit of a tangent, but I know Fullbridge is an astonishing amount of beers they're releasing, and especially with their 15 years now, because they've got their 15 years of beer, aren't they? Yes. And they're doing a new... A new cask beer every month. Yeah, every month. Mm-hmm. And as well as all the ones they regularly do, and then the ones that they still bring in seasonally, it's a vast amount of beers that they churn out on a regular yeah. basis, isn't it? Well, yeah, and this, this month's cask offering is a, is a collab with Adnams. Yeah, it's, a, it's an Irish dry stout. Yeah, I want to get hold of that as well. Yeah, oh, cask style. only. Yeah, uh, uh, again, so. again, which narrows down the opportunity. Yeah, well, definitely. Well, sorry to quantify where we are, either be in London or Essex for me and Steve. It's quite hard to get hold of that. I actually really like this idea of partnering with the TV show, just because it's an interesting way to bring new drinkers into yeah. their space, and it's what Oma Gang did with Game of Thrones, creating these different releases that have to do with the TV program. Who knows if it brings someone in who would never have tried an IPA before and never have heard of Thornbridge before. I think it's really interesting. You know, we've got football sponsorships and rugby sponsorship from all the big breweries. So kind of 
bringing new drinkers into the space through TV is quite cool. That is a good idea. The, the only reason I was cynical about the sponsorship is because I'm sure before this was announced, I'm sure there was a Peaky Blinders Owl before from Saddlers. There was. Which makes me think that... Oh, was it perhaps... But that was quite a while ago, the Saddlers one, wasn't it? Uh, when they first brought it out, I don't think that was that recent. Well, when I was in Bakewell for Peak Enders last year, it was in a bottle shop there. I thought it'd been out before that, though. I mean, oh yeah, it's been, it's been out. Done, had they done it as an official tie-up? I don't. I don't know. That sounds like it's official. Yeah, yeah I think this is an official one. I'm not sure. I don't know if Sadler's was. Okay. Maybe someone yeah. can let us know. But I know the one you're referring to. But I'm. I'm, I'm I'd predict that there will get a few people, as you say now. Who will say, "Oh, this is quite interesting"? Yeah, right. Just pick it up and be like, "Huh?" Yeah, Blinders. yeah. I like or that show. you know, the Colmore Tap is that you know that I'm sure that they've got going there for a bite to eat, and then they see that on the bar, and somebody's a fan of the show. Well, I'll, I'll add that one then. Yeah, it so works. You, works quite well, doesn't it? You can yeah. see the the label, can't you? Quite yeah. nicely. Yeah. Um, staying on the theme of uh, new beers, um, there's been the announcement of uh, Tesco jumping both feet arms legs everything into the to, to the world of craft beer again in in the past week with some of their hookups with um brewdog again so collabs between brewdog and modern e- times modern times evil twin new version of their hazy jane yep. beer and new repackaged hazy jane as well and this is the first of three months worth of beer launches that Tesco are now doing over the next three months as as well. And that that relationship seems to know no bounds at the moment, does it, in terms of new beers coming into Tesco all the time? Well, I mean, let's be honest, I mean, if someone had said to me that I could have the opportunity, so the day, of rele- the day we're recording the show, 2nd of March, is the general release day into the stores. Well, we some know, of them have crept in over the weekend yeah, yeah and we know that some of them will creep in as the week goes on but if somebody said to me I could find on the supermarket shelf a 440 can of a beer between Brewdog and Modern Times or, Mod- or Brewdog and Evil Twin I would have gone no that ain't happening yeah so the fact and I'm assuming it's in the £3 440 uh, range the, the, the people that have picked up the Modern Times one over the weekend so yeah. it was three quid. Um, yeah I think it's astonishing that it's happening I think it is astonishing. I mean, and this is obviously I haven't tried the beer, so I've got I can't make any comment about the beer itself. But the thought of the beer would maybe go and buy it just because it's there. Mm. As part of your weekly shop, I can suddenly put in these cans into your either your online basket or your real basket. I think it's amazing, really. Mm. Was it? What, what? Do you have any thoughts now? I think listening into Jake's episode when you guys were talking about this as well, then it is quite interesting to think it's that double-edged sword there's the accessibility on the one hand which is great to bring drinkers to allow them to try these really interesting styles but then there's the concerns from the bottle shops as to say you know well if tesco can get away with charging three pounds a can how why are consumers or how do they understand the different prices the higher prices that are being set at bottle shops uh, but i think what jago was saying about creating exclusive beers yeah. for tesco that then allows you to control the price a little bit better and be able to say you know you're only going to find this one in this place and then all of our other specials you'll find in a bottle shop um i think that that works really well it's a nice way of controlling uh access to Mm. to the beers and my only hesitation with that is again consumers don't really understand why certain beers cost more than others so that can still present a challenge i think people don't realize how much hops cost or you know if you're adding cacao nibs or whatever the additional cost that might go into it so i think it still is a little bit of a challenge for people to wrap their head around higher prices at bottle shops but when i do my tastings i do want to find 
beers that people can find again quite easily. So I do appreciate that these really interesting flavors are going into Tesco and other supermarkets because then I can use them in a tasting say, you're going to find it here. But if you want something else like this, this is the bottle shop you go to next. Yeah. So it's bringing people in and then telling them where to go. Uh, I think that's really interesting to allow people to get access to our world in a place that they're in much more often. You know, do yeah, and, they, and they're comfortable in that environment as well. You know, they tend to be in the same aisle wines at the end so that you know there's a bit of interest all the way along the aisle perhaps yeah. as part of the shop I, I yeah it was interesting that conversation with Jaeger about how you then managed to satisfy your your independent outlets as well as, as well as your big outlets and I think yeah. it's the same for breweries who may have beers let's say going to spoons mm-hmm. as an example that price point is always going to be capped at a certain level if we take outside of the airport ones for example but generally there's really low cap on their numbers versus then a bar you might go to which is like only 100 yards away mm-hmm. and you may have a really a differential not, not necessarily the same beer but effectively it will look the same so it comes in a pint glass might even be from the same brewery but why are you charging me this much yeah. so I think there is a challenge there overall I think it's positive yeah. but the, these opportunities that are coming out but Tesco's definitely seem to be all in there at the moment really jumping on it all yeah. in there this guy Domo only seems to use Instagram and as soon as he posts something, you don't necessarily have to follow him on Instagram because everyone's reposting on Twitter for him anyway. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's almost not doing the work anymore. No. And very clever with these these new releases as well because also tied into giveaways, um, which was all about reposting, reposting mm. and sharing Take. your story. And I think I saw one post from him saying that he in one day he had like a thousand new followers on, on Instagram and that was just the power of giving stuff away. Yeah, that's that's done that. It was like one case of each beer or something, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. repost and tag someone in, so you yeah. do that, and then you say it's like he's done one post, and it's got out everywhere. So wow. for the investment of one case, yeah, it's a pretty good job actually. Yeah. I, I will I will try to get hold of them myself. Yeah, I I, I will. I'm, I'm I'm particularly excited about the, uh, the the Vietnamese coffee nitro stout, the one that they've done with Evil Twin. Yeah. That's yeah. To think that That's I can pick that up yeah. on, on on a Tesco shelf, yeah. I'm going to be a very happy man when I get my hands on that yeah, it's one. Definitely, it's going to be worth trying. And as I said I wouldn't have thought it was possible x amount of years ago, but yeah. this could happen. So I think it's still exciting. Yeah, very and much it, so. And it does get a little noise when he does do his releases. So there's obviously a lot of other people get quite excited about it. Whether the product is following through, I have no reference point at the moment but I'll definitely give it a go absolutely and, and like I say to think that we've got to, according to his initial post two more months of this as well so we're going to get new releases at the beginning of April and new releases at the beginning of May it'll be interesting to see whether they've gone down the line of actually linking up with other breweries specifically to do a line of new releases they'll have to be careful on April Fool's Day then <laughs> yeah <laughs> People weren't or have some it. or have some great fun. Yeah, on on, on on that day. I stay off social media that day. It's too hard to yeah. know what's yeah. going on. Look at this. Brewdog and Colonel have released a beer <laughs> in cans in Tesco. <laughs> so that ties quite nicely into the next story as well, which is also about Brewdog, um, and it's about their rebranding, the repackaging, and it's some. It's this is some stuff that you picked up, wasn't it, Martin? Yeah. So obviously, on the last show, we did discuss for for a little while about the repackaging, our thoughts about it. And I know other people both online and on podcasts have discussed the rebranding. Um, but I just, there's a few people I follow on LinkedIn um, who are connected to Brewdog. And I just saw it come up. Brewdog has come a long way. 
13 years, four breweries, 100 bars, 2,000 crew members, 130,000 equity punk investors, and we're just getting started, and then the whole launch thing. And I just thought I'd follow up and see if there was any sort of comments about the rebranding, bearing in mind, I would guess that from what I've seen, it wasn't universally loved from the people that I interact with, follow, or people who retweet it. Um, so it says, you know, customer feedback has been immense, and this is only the beginning, much more to follow in 2020 as we shape the category for the next decade. I thought, okay, well, that's different to what I've seen. And then I started reading the comments, and a lot of the comments that I saw have come from people within the industry in some shape or form. So uh, from one person, loving the branding change, awesome products going from strength to strength. Uh, and someone's just written buy, buy, buy. And then another person, wow, love the new branding, guys, amazing. Then uh, love the new look, I think it really set the brand apart on the shelf, which I think a lot of people sort of said the opposite when we were talking about it before. Uh, only 15 days to the final entry deadline, let's crush it, craft beer marketing awards. So someone's very excited about these particular mm. products. Like the new branding, really shows the evolution of the brand. Great work on this, really like the new look. And like I said, all of these are from people in some way either connected to branding, PR, or within the drinks industry themselves. And it's a real contrast to what I've seen online in the bubble that I sort of generally exist in. Mm. Um, I mean, what's your thoughts, Matt, about the... I mean, it's quite a drastic change on the BrewDog branding. Yeah. What, what were your initial thoughts about it? I spent a bit of time looking at the this three iterations from the, that initial one I remember of everything in white and kind of stamped on and then to the one that we've seen most recently with the three lines of text sort of written vertically uh, and then to what they've moved on to now. I actually really like the cans. I think the cans look really nice and I think they're easier to take in visually than the iteration that they had previously. Um, but also looking online, I saw some of the versions of the bottle, and I think the label on the bottle gets really lost. The, the bottle labeling doesn't stand out to me, but I like the cans and the colors on the cans and the cleanness of, of this writing, which I think is not very craft beer in the sense that everybody's gone this bold direction with loads of colors and graffiti and art and all these things layered on top of each other. Um, but there's an element of simplicity to the new branding that I quite like but I think it almost looks too simple on, on the bottle. You think it gets lost on a 330 bottle. Yeah. Whereas the can, they're using the whole of the can, aren't they? Exactly. So you've got all of this wraparound color, but when you're looking at the bottle, it's mostly brown and then just a little shield on the front. And so it loses the rest of the effect of the color. So for me, that kind of, it doesn't stand out as much, but I think the cans look quite nice. I, I think that, um, I think they, the cans are perfectly placed for shop shelves now mm. and the, the ones I saw they're in white boxes as well when they do their four pack their fridge pack boxes mm. that is again ultra clean isn't it that particular look so yeah I mean I, I think I said before that I didn't have an opinion one way or the other because for me it was about what's inside the can mm. but having read these comments heard what you've got to say and standing back and looking at them then I can understand how, why people are saying about that. It's about getting people to pick them up off the shelf, isn't it? Exactly. That's what they've been designed to do. Yeah. Does someone want to pick them off the shelf and pay money for them? And ultimately, you know, I guess they'll find out over the next three to six months, won't they? And it's interesting what you say about four packs. I do wonder now how much uh, product in the supermarkets is single cans for them, or is it the four pack? Because I didn't think about the four pack art and what that looks like in terms of getting people to pick it up. Yeah, I mean, I don't... 
I only ever see Brewdog in boxes these days, mm. in some shape or form. Yeah, they're not really sold as singles anymore. No, but the bottles you can see yeah. in singles. You can still see bottles in singles, but the cans tend to be in the in the four packs, to be honest. Yeah. But the, the supermarkets are almost guiding you towards buying those with the offers as well, aren't they? Yeah, so when, when you can pick up, what is it, two four packs for £9 in Tesco, nobody in their right mind is going to pick up single what? single units when when you compare it to the price you're paying for those eight beers yeah. Yeah, at nine pounds, okay. yeah, you're not going to get close to that, are you? No, and also you won't even pick up just one four pack. No, because you go well, that's six pound for another three pound. I'll get another four cans. Yeah, yeah. So as an offer, and I mean, we are particularly talking about. I think that's a very much a Tesco type of offer. It does work. But yeah, I actually think about it. I wonder how many places I'm actually going to see Brewdog single cans. Yeah actually right so we're talking about what this is going to look like on shelf and we might not actually see it on shelf yeah no in, and then the box yeah. yeah yeah you're not going to see them in many you're not going to see these in single cans and craft a lot of craft places are you yeah exactly. for example maybe maybe spoons might have them in their fridges would mm. be an obvious place given they always have punk as a permanent line but yeah i wonder actually that's quite interesting people do see them as single cans on the shelves let us know what they what they think about it I've still not seen them in the wild yet so I still haven't actually seen physically seen one of the new brands yeah cans. I'm not expecting you to take them all out of the boxes and start lining them up to see how they look still. I know that's what they want people to do but I'm not going to do that <laughs> I do find it quite interesting that though that it seems on, on, on the whole the industry is very welcoming of the yeah very news, positive of the news, as, as opposed to the consumers that were a little bit iffy about it I think every time there's a change we're always we get our back up a bit yeah you know like what'd you do I liked it it was fine before yeah and I'm then no yeah with familiarity we you know the more you see it the, the more acceptable it yeah. becomes I yeah think. I have to really I have to actually really think about the old branding pre the last one so like going towards the original I really have to focus on it yeah to picture it you do get used to it mm-hmm. yeah and then you won't think about it and I don't think they're aiming it at us mm. it's craft beer for the masses it's yeah. what they always set out to do mm-hmm. that that was that was what they always wanted to do and you know this is definitely a part of that journey for yeah them. best thing i've seen on this though in the last couple of weeks is whoever it was that put the tweet out with the uh, identical football shirts underneath each oh, that was really clever <laughs> it was so good that was really clever that, that was really really good yeah, we'll, we'll find that and we'll include that in the show notes yeah. so if people haven't seen it they, they can they can click through and, that, and have that a look was at that. Good. Yeah, mm-hmm. very good. Maybe they want to move into sports sponsorship. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, yeah. yeah look, look. We, we work game. we work with any shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next up on the news was the story that um, Untapped have um, bought Beer Advocate, which is a, a, another rating site. And and I don't think it's actually so much Untapped that have bought it. It's the company that owns Untapped. So Next Glass own untapped they've now bought beer advocate and they're now part of the same family um, and basically what it does is um, it, it brings them both in line a little bit more with with, with ratings um, although they are saying that, that both platforms um, have evolved to serve different types of markets and have different purposes when people are looking to discover beer as well now I, I've got to say that um, I don't really know too much about beer advocate um, I did find it a surprise when the news came out that Untapped have bought someone. I was like, hang on, what's, what's going on here? <laughs> rating sites are now buying other rating sites. What's, what's going on? Um, Nat, do you know much more about Beer Advocate? Yeah, I was a huge fan of it. It was actually like quite an important part of my beer journey starting in 2012 or so in New York. Um, they had a print magazine that I was a subscriber of. I really loved it. Just like 
not a big one and I would take it out when I went out to my beer bars and learn what was going on in the industry so they kind of do a profile of a brewery there would be a beer history piece there'd be a beer and food piece and you would just get to learn about what was going on in the scene and uh, yeah I loved my my beer advocate delivery as it was coming in every month um, and when I moved here I didn't subscribe to it as they didn't send it out to the UK and then it uh, actually went out of print I believe in 2018 2019 um, but I would also use the online site. I didn't put any reviews on there personally, but when I was first getting into beer and kind of going into a new beer bar and wasn't very familiar with uh, many of the brewery names, I would look up the beers on Beer Advocate because people write these incredibly detailed re reviews of the beers. So it was really helpful to kind of, when I wasn't as professional at tasting beers, read someone else's description and say, oh, they, they found caramel? Okay, I'm going to look for some caramel. Or, you know, they found raisins? Okay, I'll look for the raisins. Uh, so I thought it was a really great way to find out about new beers and sort of how to describe them. Or if I went to a new city, I would look at it and, and look for, you could rate different beer bars. So I would go to the top rated beer bars and look up the best beers from a certain brewery, that sort of thing. And while Untapped does something similar, for me, I didn't find it as helpful because people weren't writing as much in their mm -hmm. reviews. And it was more about giving it a rating, which is so personal, whether you like it or mm -hmm. not that I wasn't really going on, on, on to Beer Advocate for the numbers. It was for those rich descriptions to bring a beer to life for me that I hadn't tried yet. So um, I think as you learn more about beer and sort of build your own beer flavor vocabulary, I didn't rely on it so much, uh, but it was still really helpful to me to get started in beer. Um, but I read a Vine Pair article about the acquisition and I didn't realize, they're, so they're talking about how Beer Advocate was 24 years old and Untapped is 10 years old. And I, I just thought this quote was so funny. It says, quote, Beer Advocate is brew pubs with hair colored beers, blonde ale, red ale, brown ale. Untapped is taproom only breweries with weekend hazy IPA releases. So it just shows the sort of generation gap between the two different platforms and this move from print and lengthy content to almost like the gamification of beer and the focus on digital. So I don't know, I would love if it, they were able to revive the Beer Advocate magazine, but I don't know if we're in that world mm. anymore. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what what Beer Advocate can kind of learn from Untapped and how that might refresh it for the world of beer we're in currently. But yeah, special place in my heart for when yeah. I first got started. Well, I think they say that they, um, they're both gonna continue independently of one another, mm. uh, separate sites, separate branding, and unique communities. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing what it will therefore possibly bring to Beer Advocate is maybe just from some reading between the lines of what you're saying there, maybe it's a bit of a cash injection that they've needed for a while yeah. to, to bring themselves up to date a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. so I think we'll just keep an eye on it. I wonder what the company who owns both gets from it. Lots of data. Yeah, because that, that can be the only thing, isn't it? If they're saying, but I mean, and judging by the way you've described it, they both work in very different markets. It's working in a very different way. Like I said, Untapped is very much gamification. I mean, me and Steve have joked about badges more than once on the show. Mm -hmm. um, it's very much short bursts of information about your opinion about the beer because it's linked into how it feeds then on to say Twitter, yeah. for example. So less is more in a space like yeah. that. Yeah, um, and they even give you some descriptors so you can throw in a load of words at the bottom of your, your check-in anyway we're even having to do the description yourself in free format so presumably it is about the data collection 
Mm. That that data is going to be used by someone somewhere, presumably. Yeah, right. ZX Ventures bought Rate Beer. There's clearly some value in that data. Yeah. So what is happening with the untapped beer advocate side? Creating creating the beer that people either think they want or didn't know they wanted yet. Yeah. The perfect beer. The yeah. perfect beer. Which brings us nicely on to... To final thoughts on the beer. Final thoughts on the, um, the jaunty Amarillo IPA from Broaden and Build. Um, Nat? Can well, I ask what the ABV is? Oh, there it is. It's staring me in the 6. face. 6.4? Yeah, so I was just going to say, it feels quite light. It's very drinkable. Yeah. It looks thicker than it drinks. Yeah. So it does have yeah, that definitely. sort of um, hazy, very hoppy, juicy look to it. Yeah. But you, I think if you're doing it blind... It's much lighter in body yeah. than I would have expected. Yeah, yeah. So really easy drinking, really enjoying the sort of Mandarin notes. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I've got nothing to add, which might be what I say for the next three or four beers after Nat's spoken anyway. I, I, I think it could be a real thirst quencher in, 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 in the summer. Yeah. That, you know, if you were drinking pints of that cold, or, or whatever measure is, is your preferred <laughs> um, option. Um, if you were drinking that cold in the sun, you could probably be drinking that all day long without even really realising what's about going on, it. because it's just so refreshing. Yeah, yeah. I think you would picture it definitely below a lot closer to five yeah, yeah. that's why I was surprised at um, ABV but if I did see beers from this brewery again yeah, having tasted the two that Terry shared with us I would definitely try them again I'd, I'd, I'd give them a go yeah, don't know how often absolutely. I will see them but yeah. I'd definitely something that if I saw them I'd, the artwork's quite striking almost comic book like in places on it mm. it's, it's um I would definitely go for it. Yeah. So once again thank you very much Terry for, for sharing with us. Yeah, yeah very much appreciated. Um, so Nat jumping back into to, to you and, and, and what, what, what you do. Um, so what you're doing now is professional beer education, it, it, essentially. Yeah. Um, what, what does that entail? Talk us through that a little what bit. That? Sure, so it's a mix of uh, several different things, but kind of mainly two arms. So one is focused more on staff training. So how do we encourage staff at all kinds of pubs, bars, restaurants to be able to best take care of, serve, and talk about the beers that they have. So I kind of see myself as this middleman role again, going between the brewers who are making the beer and the consumers who are drinking the beer. How do we bridge those two to be able to best describe, again, the flavors in the beer, the processes that went into it, the love that goes into it in a way that connects with people. So it's really important, brewers put all this time and effort into making the beer, that it actually gets cared for once it gets to the, you know, the point of service and making sure that the beers are served properly. It is a big pet peeve of mine, knowing knowing too much that I do know, when I go into a bar and still see them put the, the font as they're pouring the beer into the liquid itself. That's a big no-no. There should always be space between the tap where the beer is coming out of and the glass. Uh, just because there can be cross-contamination, it's a way to um, you know cause problems in the lines potentially. So things like that is what I am doing when I do staff trainings, teaching people how to properly care for beer, serve beer, and then describe the flavors in beer. And oh, for me, well, cask is the only time when you're able to actually put the spout into the liquid because you need to pour from the bottom. So good to demo on a podcast, but if you've got those long swan neck mm-hmm. spouts for cask beer, then you want to put the spout all the way at the bottom of the glass and fill the glass from there because then you need to make sure that the spout stays under the top of the liquid. But if you're pouring on draft, uh, so any kegged beers, you want to make sure there's always space between the glass and the tap font. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a problem I see in many many places. Um, so hopefully this might change <laughs> change the way people do things. But if not, bring me in and I will train the staff. Um, but the next part is really flavor communication. So how how do we help 
bars sell the beers in a way that people are going to want to buy them. So again, not using the descriptors that we know in the beer world. Oh, it's really bitter and a little bit malty. No, let's talk about the caramel that's in there, the toast that's in there, the citrus that's in there. And that is then able to allow customers to actually understand what they can expect from the beer in front of them. So beer and staff training is one part of it. And then the other side is talking to consumers directly. So I really enjoy doing tastings. Sometimes I'll do them for consumers directly at um, like bottle shops and bars. So on a quiet night, uh, like a Monday or Tuesday, I'll go into a bottle shop and do a uh, tasting there. Uh, all kinds of different themes, whether it's around you know beers from a certain country or beer and food pairing or the science of beer, the history of beer, those sorts of things. And then I'll do some consumer uh, and corporate tastings as well, like the one I got to do for you, coming yep. into the bank and um, you know talking to uh, corporate organizations is sort of a bit of entertainment for them. So allowing everyone to enjoy beer, do a bit of networking, and then provide a bit of knowledge about beer as well. So yeah, many different bits of the business, but that's what I enjoy. I, I just like to say I'm all beer all the time. So whoever wants to hear me talk about mm -hmm. beer, I'm happy to you're, do it. You're, you're good with that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> People may have heard of pulled a drink out. So uh, I have poured it again. This it's just a bit of a random uh, selection of beers tonight. Actually, I don't think we've spent too long on it. Uh, Beavertown Lupuloid, which uh, Beavertown did send us um, some beers recently. So thank you very much to them. I think. You may have tasted this as part of the little Leeds stuff with Mark. It was a flavour of the month yeah. there back when it was first released, yeah. which is. But it's probably about four years, years ago now. now. I was just quite oh, surprised probably. to learn when I was looking yeah. back on the show details that it was that long ago, but it was it was released. Yeah, so but I've got to say it's not um, it's not a beer I've actually revisited that often. Yeah, well, you only I see it in small pack it. anyway, don't you? Yeah. I think I've had it once or twice. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's remember see, it. Let's see what yeah. we think about it. Okay. Cheers. 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 There's almost no nose on that at all. It is quite cold. Yeah. It is yeah. quite cold. I did take it straight out of the ice bucket, so it hasn't had much chance to warm up, to be fair to it. And you've very kindly given me too much beer in the glass, so it's hard to swirl. Sorry. Because I do tend to pour beer all over myself as I'm swirling anyway, but it's important to swirl your beer to experience, <laughs> to experience the aroma. I was going to say, why is it important to swirl your beer? Because we detect aroma molecules from air, so as we swirl, it will bring the bubbles up and out of the beer, and therefore it brings more aroma molecules up and out of the beer and right into our nose. So I need to leave room, more room in the glass then. Yes. Okay, noted yeah. for the next pour. Yeah. yeah. That's good for us to know as well though. Yeah. And, uh, and our listeners, there's a, another sciencey bit for everyone. <laughs> right, and it's yeah. not that you need to do this with every sip of every beer, but when you're first getting into a new beer, pour a little bit, then swirl it so you've got more space in the glass to kind of experience the aromas, and then once you know how to describe it, then fill up the rest and just... I suppose it makes sense. It's not similar to when you do wine tastings, is it? Yeah, exactly. Pretty similar sort of that. For me, there's definitely a lot more pine on this one compared to the previous one, which is more fruit forward. So mm -hmm. it's a bit more almost herbal's not the right word, but there's something that kind of oniony characteristic or garlicky characteristic that it's um, it's a bit savoury. There is character. savoury. That was the, that's the word. I wouldn't have gone as far as the onion, but it's definitely got a something which was quite popular four or five years ago, and mm -hmm. a lot of beers coming through were starting to get those sort of savoury notes yeah. some of them could go a bit too far at times as well and you'd really get a bit of onion would be the closest you could describe it and mm. people are thinking who wants onion in beer yeah but not like I think it's more green onion as opposed to uh, you know like a raw red onion yeah. or a white onion it's it's that uh, it's like a softer onion characteristic I don't know the best way to describe it but when you're slicing green onions and you kind of get a whiff of it that's what I'm getting okay 
I found it is like um, it's got a slightly different textured mouthfeel to the the first beer as well. Yeah, it's not definitely. quite as soft and light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think if memory serves me correctly, didn't they go through a, a process of trialing a number of versions yeah. of this before they finally settled on the final version? So they tried different hot combinations, different ABVs, all, all sorts of things before because this was their first IPA, wasn't yeah. it? But yeah, I think you're right. They did do. They made quite a bit of a splash about it at the time, yeah. didn't they? As well. But yeah, I mean, it's not. I mean, it's nice enough. I mean, it, it probably wouldn't be my go-to beer town beer, if I'm being honest. No, no, I think there's there's, there's two that I'd go to. Okay, before, maybe three in. before this. I'd probably also put Bloody Hell before this as well in its mm. new lighter format. That's true. Yeah, um, but it, I mean, it is nice. But yeah, I do remember. I can't believe it's four years. No, I can't. That's gone quick. Yeah. <laughs> it's flown by. Yeah. It, it feels like it. It's, it's such a striking can with, with the pink lid as well and the and, and the green ring pole that it, it feels like it's it's still really new. But then you think back and you're like, oh, actually, it has been around for a while. Yeah. Mm. But I remember you and Mark did um, comment on the the green uh, ring pole and the the can, top of the can being the same colour as the rest of it, like the the purple colour. That was saying you did comments on at the time, so it must have been quite striking compared to other can releases at the time. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. You don't normally see that. No, kind of it's, it's certainly you can you, you can pick their cans out from above. Yeah, can't you? That's that that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. No, no, so I'm enjoying. It. It's quite nice to revisit it. At least yeah. I think because it's in that slightly higher end of the, the it wouldn't be a fridge a go to fridge beer. Mm, he says stronger. going for a cannibal yeah, <laughs> yeah which, is, which is always in there and I think it's interesting because it's so much punchier flavour wise than the previous beer even though it's only a little bit stronger yeah like the flavours are totally different but in turn there's a there's, it just seems to have turned up the dial a little bit in intensity in this one yeah and the, I would say I think the mouthfeel again is indicating it's amped up a little bit as well yeah even though you aren't like you're right it's only 0.3% higher I think the two side by side, there is definitely a difference. Yeah, the previous beer was significantly lighter in body and softer in bitterness, yeah. whereas this bitterness, you feel it, and then you feel the body of the beer a little bit. It's a little bit hazier and heavier. Uh, but yeah, I'm enjoying it. It, it reminds me more of those classic IPA flavors that we've kind of gone away from, because everything's gone down the tropical fruit yeah. route for a very long time now. Um, so yeah, this is kind of some of those more classic IPA yeah. bitterness. While we're enjoying this then and just letting it warm a little in the glass so, so we'll see how the flavours change. Um, Nat, you do, as we've mentioned at the beginning, you do, do also host your own podcast, uh, Beer with Nat. You're into season three yep. of, of that now. Um, tell us a little bit about it. How did it, how did it come about? Why, why a podcast? Where was the inspiration for it? Um, yeah, yeah. Talk, talk to us about it. So it was a brainwave on an airplane, which I think, I don't know, I feel lots of people have good ideas on airplanes. I know I'm not alone in that. Like, it's just this moment where you're disconnected from everything else and you kind of, ideas sink in in a different way than they would with the busyness of life. Um, so I was on a flight to Northern Ireland to go see my parents. Uh, I, I suppose, so I had actually been working on the book proposal earlier that year and I had gotten some interest, but it hadn't quite gone to the next step of getting a contract and making it official. And I just didn't want to put my eggs in a basket. I wasn't sure if it was going to ever be made official. There was always some thought that it might not you know, meet the interests of the publisher, that sort of thing. So everything was moving in a direction. I had all this momentum and I wanted to do something with my time. And I wasn't sure the book was going to come off. And 
interestingly, back in April of that year, I had kind of designed this, what I thought would be an interesting logo for something called Beer with Nat. I didn't know what that something was going to be. And the types of podcasts that I listen to are, I was very into beer podcasts when I was first getting into beer, particularly good beer hunting. I have photos on my Instagram of listening to it back in 2015. And I remember, oh gosh, maybe like 2013, 2014, it was even earlier because it was before I moved here to get into beer. And, um, but now the podcasts I listen to are mostly female focused and they're careers focused. I just love learning other women's stories of what they've done in their careers and how they've gotten to the point that they're at now, whether they're building their own business or they've worked their way up in an industry. Um, so there's one called Control Alt Delete, which is by a woman called Emma Gannon. I just find her guests and her style very conversational and very interesting. And then another one called Skimmed from the Couch, which is by these two women that run a business called The Skim. And it's this daily email newsletter, but they've continued to build it out in different ways. And it's very focused on women kicking ass and whatever it is that they do. And for me then, kind of putting my interest in beer and in this space together with my interest in the podcast I like to listen to, I just thought, you know, no one's doing this for women in beer. And there are lots of us and we're all doing really interesting things. And people keep talking about, you know, there's not enough women in beer, we need more diversity. And the more you get into the industry, you realize there are lots of ladies here. We just need to be able to, to give ourselves a bit of a spotlight. So that's what I wanted to do, be able to speak to women about their careers in beer and understand what got them into it, what they do now, how they've progressed, uh, and kind of where their interest in beer came from initially. So for me, it's all about just putting these women, you know, on a little pedestal and allowing them to have their moment to tell their story because then not only does it showcase how many women are working in beer already, uh, it showcases the opportunities that are available to people and then who you can speak to if you want to do something similar. And I think it's always the backstory that I find most fascinating. You know, there's someone who's come from working in, well, we've got Jaga, who is a chemical engineer. Yep. <laughs> then speaking to Alex Shaw, who was on episode two, who had a wine background before coming to beer. Then we have people who, you know, Natasha, uh, who works for Beatniks Republic, used to also do biochemical research before coming to beer. Uh, then we've got people like Kara, uh, who I talked to in episode 21, who was in politics before coming to beer. So it's kind of allowing any listener to realize, like, that could be me. You know, we don't have to have a set background. We don't have to have a set training. There are skills that are relevant from any career that you can then bring to this wonderful world of beer. If you're passionate about the product, the beer itself, then there is a way for you to get involved if you want to. And if you're intimidated about, you know, coming into a world that has typically been seen as very male-dominated, you've got all of these women here to support you. Uh, so I, I love making it it's sort of my passion project you know I'm trying to focus on the education as the way to build the business and and that's how I want to spend my days and then sort of in the evenings is when I record and edit away and and turn it into this show and it's really fascinating to hear from people like I've had someone from Vermont say oh I love listening you know she runs her own QA lab and so all these small breweries will come to her for help with quality assurance so I'd love to get her on someday folks from Canada you know there have been people writing into me to say you should talk to this person and this person so I've done it in seasons because it is a lot of work as I'm sure you know you know doing the prep writing the questions taking the time to record, doing the editing, um, so doing 10 at a time, then allowing myself a bit of a breather to do other things, and then getting back into it has worked out really well. But I just really enjoy it, and I'm so grateful to all of the women that have given me their time, that have spoken to me, and I hope that you know people are finding value in it and saying, yeah, that can be me. And it's all about this idea that Melissa Cole often says, if you can't see, you can't be, so I want to make sure that these women are seen and heard. I, I mean, I, I really do enjoy them. I think the thing about which I've been struck by so many of the people you've interviewed on the podcast and 
giving them a bit a chance to shine is the background. So many different backgrounds, but they've done so many. A lot of them have done so many fascinating things. Yeah. And the bar was set quite high with Jaeger to, yeah. to start off with. To be fair, and that was that was a high bar with her background anyway. But you know, there's so many other people that you've spoken to. They had so many different fascinating backgrounds. Not just science. Like, there's been quite a few sciencey backgrounds, and that seems to really lend itself. Um, and maybe you know, it gives them a gives them. The, some, some kudos at even just to start off with as well to get into what you say is a very male dominated or perceived to be a very male dominated arena um, do you see that have you got a list of people that you still want uh, to work with as well yeah. and are there some people that you want to work with but you haven't quite nailed them get, got hold of them yet yeah a lot of it is timing I've had a few people where you know we have something in the works and then unfortunately we have to change it um, it's also difficult as well. I was hoping to do a recording up in Manchester, but I don't have anywhere set that I can record. I do a lot of my recordings at my kitchen table. I know I can control how quiet it is there. Uh, and it's very relaxed, and so I always ask guests to bring in a beer, and so we just sit at my kitchen table and have a beer and a chat. Um, That's not just us then. Yeah, no, exactly. our, our general recording is at the kitchen table. Oh, the all, all the best podcasting yeah. happens in the kitchen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's where all the best house parties happen, is yeah, in the kitchen yeah, eventually, yeah. isn't yeah. it? Yeah, so I do find it a bit difficult to, if I want to record somewhere else, you know, book a room or make sure it's quiet. I did a recording with Miranda Hudson at uh, the London Craft Beer Festival, and it was they had sort of a space for all the folks who were running People were coming in and out, weren't they? Oh, my word. I went there during the day, and it was very quiet. And then in the evening, when the consumer session started, it was just thumping music the whole time. And I was like, oh, God, I'm so sorry, everyone. But I, I really wanted to chat with her, so we made it work. Yeah. It was a bit noisy. Uh, you know... Ideally, you always want somewhere which is quiet, so that all of the dialogue, all of all of the opinions, everyone's thoughts comes out quite clearly. But sometimes, either it's actually a good place to be at at the time you're doing it, whether that be a bar, festival, brewery, for example. In which case, then it's inevitable. There's some noise. There's going to be some noise. Yeah. Um, usually, I mean, my experience, your podcast, our podcast, and other people's, that you can as. A, podcast you get you can get distracted by the background noise though so you've got plenty of guests lined up for future seasons then yeah so i'm wrapping up season three i've got we've got episode 28 coming out this week so we'll stop it at episode 30 uh and then yeah i'll start take a little break and then start recording season four yeah, yeah. oh cool well look, look forward to it. and they are i mean they usually definitely come in within the hour really. yeah very I tried, unlike us I tried to keep it like 30 to 40 minutes and some people because you know as I was saying I prep too much <laughs> I have so many questions sometimes uh, but I definitely I will not go over an hour that is my absolute max I would like it to be a little shorter just from like personal preference yeah. what I like to listen to I kind of feel like 40 minutes is, is good but some of them the last couple have been about 55 minutes so hopefully everyone's enjoying it yeah. people just have such interesting things to say well, it's, it's you don't want to cut them off do you yeah so I can understand that sometimes you just want to hear what people have got to say and yeah. you don't really, you're not really then paying attention to the time anyway and then yeah. you go oh dear yeah. I'm like oh I got it flown. I always <laughs> have to ask this last question yeah, yeah, yeah exactly so what we'll do is um, I'm sure all of our listeners are aware of your podcast but we'll put a link in the show notes Thank so, so if people do want to have a listen they can have a listen and, and hopefully they'll, uh, they'll, they'll give you some feedback yeah, on, on, on the sort of content that you're covering and some guests and, and be inspired by all these amazing women and yeah if there's anyone else you want to hear from please let me know oh, the suggestions are always good anyway aren't they yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah without a doubt that brings us quite nicely on to um, this week's question opinions 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 
Convenient. Which was actually stolen off of somebody else. Um, I did check uh, that it was all right to use it. Um, we've, done, we've done that before. We have done that before, but this was uh, an original um, tweet that was put out by friend of the show, Andy Parker, at Tabamatu. Um, and we turned it into a poll, um, simply asking the question, is the constant pursuit of the new killing the old in the UK beer scene? Um, 690 votes, um, 45.8% said yes, 54.2% said no. So this was an interesting one. I mean, Andy's original tweet had a lot of responses yeah. and created a lot of discussion um, anyway. Um, but it was it was great to get um, quite a range of, of feedback from from, from, from listeners and, 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 and sort of like our followers on Twitter as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously, thanks for the 690 votes. It gives us a good feel for where people are going. And it was quite close, actually, to be honest. It, it was very close, and it was very close from the beginning yeah. as, as well. I think there was, there was one point where it was actually 50-50, and I was like, I don't think I've ever seen this in, 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 in one of our polls before. There's, there's normally a swing either way. It doesn't normally sit around that. But as always, um, loads of comments, um, too many to feature. Uh, on, on, on the show but if people do want to look at all of our comments um, and also look at Andy's original tweet and then look at all of those comments of which there were numerous on yeah, there as well yeah there's a link in the show notes to, to, to the poll that we asked you can click on that and you can read through them all um, I think what we're going to do is we're going to go through some of these responses and just throw our thoughts in as, as we go through because I don't think any of us have maybe got a very particularly defined answer or, or opinion on this one no I thought about it and I still haven't no I haven't <laughs> I, I thought I had and then I was like, oh, no, actually. And then I think every time I read a different answer, I was like, I agree with that one yeah. now. <laughs> and, me, and now I agree with that. Like, I don't know how, how people are defining old. And I think that's the crux and that's almost what changes with each answer. Like, is old older craft breweries like Sierra Nevada, for example, or Colonel, for example, if we're talking about one from the US and one from the UK? Or is it traditional? So are people drinking less you know tim taylor's or is it the previous beers so are people drinking all pressure drops new stuff and not drinking pale fire like it can be interpreted in so many different ways that was the trouble i was having with yeah i know we asked the question because we, but we took it off andy but the interpretation of the question is actually quite a tough one i think anyway it's very difficult so yeah let's just dive in yeah, yeah. okay so first up from carl m at marshall Isle carl uh i voted no reasons there is going to be evolution in anything, if it be ingredients or methods. Broom will evolve, and with that, new styles will come out of that. That doesn't mean that old styles will be redundant, however they might change. So will people's tastes. can't disagree with any of what Carl said there, yeah. to, be, to be honest. And that's, again, when I was reading the notes today, the day of recording, then that's when I started thinking, I still haven't got an answer. <laughs> I still haven't got my own opinion No, I, 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 I thought I did. But like I say, so many times I'm like, no, I, I actually don't have a, a clear view on this yeah. one. It's, it's very difficult. Because, you know, if we go back to one of our news items, Ghost Ship, been around for 10 years. Now, both me and Nat thought probably it was a bit longer. Yeah. You uh, thought it was a bit... I didn't think it was as long. As long, yeah. even though you were there when they launched it, but you still <laughs> thought it was more recent. So therefore, straight away, what's new and what's old... And if also, it's a relatively new beer in the Ad Adnam stable, but Adnam's is an old regional brewery. Yeah. So it's, it's, it has quite a lot of uh, nuances, I think, the question. Well, is it, apart from maybe a couple of their Jack Brand beers, it's their 
newest core range beer still, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I'd imagine so. Core range cask beer, yeah. at, at, at least. But it's 10 years. Yeah, <laughs> it's 10 years old. So, so if, yeah, let's take that as an example, then the answer would be no, because the, the, the new isn't killing that off, because Adnams are still, they're still producing ghost shit, and that it's a great example, actually, because what they're doing now is they're celebrating 10 years of ghost shit by doing four collaborations with modern breweries that are based on the ghost shit recipe. Yeah, and all four of those breweries are can only be 10 years or younger. Yeah. Yeah. There or thereabouts, if we're just talking ballpark figures. I think, well, yeah, I think four. out of those four that we listed, I think Camden Town is probably the oldest. Probably. Or that, Magic, Magic Rock yeah. is, what, six, seven yeah. years old? Cloudwater was only just turned five. Yeah. Beaver Town, again, maybe. Yeah. But, six, you know, so, seven, eight, yeah. So the genesis of Ghost Ship potentially predates the genesis of even the breweries they're working yeah. with. And so new and old. So that's yeah. all new, yeah. Yeah, so again, I can't, it's really hard to work out. Because, you know, so... So we've backed ourselves into a corner with yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for, for once, we might be speechless on something. <laughs> well, <laughs> probably, probably not speechless, but we just may not. Oh, yeah, we'll give it a good go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, everyone, we won't be speechless. Um, from a friend of the show and a very good mate of mine, Carl Gunner, at KL Gunner. No, as the old farms in rural areas, because new beers, breweries, don't make an appearance. Uh, to be, give a bit of context, Carl lives in uh, Suffolk, um, a town about 10 miles, in, sort of in between Colchester and Ipswich. So for anyone who knows that bit of the world, it's it, Hadley is a bit of an outlier. It's a nice town, there is quite a few bars, um, but he's probably right so much as you probably won't see the new craft releases rock up there. The closest you are going to get will be some of the Adams range probably as an example. Mm. So I think, again, context for Carl is that he's definitely not going to see a lot of new releases landing in his neck of the woods and so it's probably that's probably the same for a lot of other places as well but you said you said previously on the show when you went out drinking with Carl recently you ended up on Timothy Taylor's Landlord yeah but then even if there was new releases I'll still end up on Timothy Taylor's Landlord yeah (laughs) yeah but that's and that's the old yeah Yeah. that's very much the old with Landlord yeah. That's what I find quite interesting about this. For me, it seems there's been so much interest in Landlord. And of course, there has been a lot of marketing from Landlord. If you go onto yeah. the subway anywhere in the city, you'll see their ads. But beers like that are picking up. And of course, Five Points introduced their bitter, which are very old, traditional styles. So that then leads me to think, well, maybe the, you know, the new is helping the old stay around as people want to have those counterpoints and kind of appreciate where beer has come from in terms of more historic styles, but then also appreciate the experimental angle and how people are creating new styles. I think there are some beers definitely benefit from especially newer breweries and brewers referencing them. So things like, say, Harvey's Sussex Best, Timmy Taylor's, as two prime examples of beers that, and especially if you talk to brewers coming from Europe and the US, you know, they'll, they'll try to seek those beers out. Um, from Greg Bullman. Nope, I'm guilty of the chase for new beers, mainly thanks to Untapped. But to me, it's driving breweries to be innovative, which is a good thing. Having a solid core range and trying new stuff is very healthy. I quite like Greg's last sentence there. So he still managed to go, uh, no, I, I think they push them to be innovative, which is a good thing. And then he's gone, having a solid core range and trying new stuff is very healthy. So he, he sort of merged two things together there as well. And I think a lot of people have spoken about that. Core range, you know, really, I still want you to have a core range, because that's what's 
uh, gets me in there. That's what brings me in. That's what keeps me coming back. But please bring out the other stuff as well because I want that as well. It's it's sort of man- managing to bring two things in together. Mm. With, I don't know, maybe for Greg, the solid core range is the old in inverted commas, and the the stuff which they bring out ad hoc or seasonal it becomes a new thing for him. So again, I thought that bring we've done three comments and they're three different versions of um, answers. Um, um, yeah, and we still. Still haven't got anything going either way, are we? With yeah. with with what we're thinking. Um, next up from Luan Brew at Luan Brew, tricky one. I voted no because there is always a place for classic beers. I like to revisit now and then, but is the fact that I don't drink them every week the epitome of the problem? Don't ask us questions, Lou. He's voting us for the original one. <laughs> it's a great comeback, though, yes, it's, it's, yeah. isn't it? Um, I think you're you're probably quite different because if you if you walk into a pub and you see landlord or ghost ship or oakum citra that that'll be your first bit yeah whereas I might not always be like that I might look for oh well, what what have they got on that I've not had before mm-hmm. before going to, to to the classics but then I'm I'm quite fickle as a drinker and it very much depends on what mood I'm in if I'm in a mood where I want something new then then I'll go searching for new. But sometimes, and increasingly so these days, I'm just looking for something reliable that I trust that is tasty. I mean, it goes back to that venue thing. If I go into a pub, especially with cask beer, because I still don't think you can replicate cask beer, bottle or can, the same as having it well-kept, well-served in a, in a decent bar slash pub. Um, so yeah, if I see some of my favorites on there and cask, I would have that first of all, whatever the measure might be, but invariably it'd be a pint of cask. And then I was, then I might start to peruse what else they might have, knowing that I've got something that I know and trust already from a place I know and trust. That I'm the, I invariably, that's what I'll do if I see one of my favourites on. You know, the Ale House where we had the bottle share, 11 months out of 12, we'll have citru, open citron. So I'll go for that, and then I'll look at what else the other 11 are. They may have a fantastic range, but I've still got a pint of oakum citra in my hand, mm-hmm. and I'm still very happy with having that. So yeah, I, I, again, is it the epitome of the problem? I mean, it's really quite interesting, that one, because I will have, you know, you are right, I'm a creature of habit. You know, you know what I'll have if I go to a brew dog bar, first of all. Absolutely, yeah. They're pound. Yeah. <laughs> you got your favourites picked up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then I will think about what else I'll have. Mine's also a lot more sensible than me because my first one would be Jack Hammond. <laughs> and then the evening's going downhill rapidly going from there. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. Do you, are you guys familiar with Flagship February? That yes. Beaumont started? Yeah. Yeah. So I think this is sort of to help answer that question. So if there are beers that we love as sort of style-defining beers, give them a nod. And I think it's a nice way to then remind people if you want these beers to stick around, if you do appreciate the contribution they've made to the beer industry and to your drinking, then do remember to revisit them every now and then so that you can keep seeking out new and interesting beers. The industry is constantly evolving, but then remember to come back to the ones that you love so that they don't disappear. From Miles Lambert, at Miles Lambert, think this will be a close poll. Yes. Indeed, he was right. uh, I voted no. I think there's always a demand for quality beer, be it old or new, trends, change at the edges but the core of the beer scene is good quality accessible beers and again another twist yeah and also uh, we'll just take this opportunity to say sorry to Miles for, for <laughs> on the last show not attributing his comment to him no. and actually attributing it to somebody else 
So we are sorry for that one, Miles, and just make sure that that was actually your comment that, that Martin just read out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if he will, Bamo, that was actually someone else's view attributed to Miles now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, that's, that, that, is, that is really interesting, isn't it? Is that trends are changing all the time. And, and we always have this thing uh, at the beginning of every year, we're trying to predict what the big beer trends are going to be, and it always ends up being IPA. Mm. There's not a variation thereof. That's true. Yes. I mean, I like the fact that, you know, he's definitely putting the word quality there, but that's what people want. And I think there was a bit of a, a pushback on certain styles of beer towards the end of last year that people felt were just being churned out at times. Um, that you can give us the new beers, new styles and sub-styles, but at least let's get the quality. Get, get the quality right. Yeah, I think a lot of people say that if breweries are constantly producing new styles, then they they almost don't have to be as concerned with consistency, mm. which maybe makes it easier for them compared to breweries who then consumers have expectations of certain flavors uh, that then need to be delivered whenever breweries are producing the same beer over and over again. So there, I remember listening to a Good Beer Hunting podcast ages ago of a brewery in Chicago that used to only do one-offs and then that was moving to have a core range and we're really facing some challenges having to produce the same beer to meet consumers' expectations over and over again. Uh, so yeah, that quality piece is quite interesting, but it doesn't matter what style it is. Is it well made? Is it consistent? And is that what's going to make it stick around? Because there, 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 there has to be there has to be a skill to that. I mean, oh, taking yeah. macro out of the way because they're they're pinpoint on that. Yeah, and teams dedicated to it. Yeah, yeah. they they're not mucking around. They're making sure because they know that people are expecting something Which is so every impressive. single time. Yeah. Um, for anyone smaller, uh, you know, regional breweries, I think probably do it pretty well. Um, whether you like their beers or not, but they generally tend to be. Okay, I had a pint recently. I'll have another one. It tastes pretty. It's pretty much the same. And you think you're right. I think there are certain breweries, like say, Colonel Cadwater, don't necessarily have a core range, but they have a core styles. Mm. So people attribute quality to their core styles, even if it's not necessarily the same beer all the time. Um, but the, for those breweries who do want to bring out a core range, and we we know that some some breweries have had challenges in the past, especially when they scale up. You know, they do get a supermarket contract and now they have to put consistency and quantity and quality all in the same thing every time. It is a challenge. But I, I, I have to admit, I still rate, I do personally rate a lot of breweries by their, the quality of their core is often my, 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 because if I, if I trust their core, then you can almost sell me anything else. Yeah, you're I'm more likely to try. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. more likely to try. That's, I mean, that, that might have been the same for everyone. But definitely for me, if you've nailed something regularly and you bring out something which is different, new, bit or a bit out, outside your box, I'll go, yeah, I'll give it a go because everything else you do is good. Yeah. So that's where they get my money. Yeah. Um, Mark, a million bevs, no. I think, if anything, it's had the opposite effect. Core ranges are better than ever and the classics now generally have a refreshing familiarity rather than tired, worn-out presence. I'd argue contextually only a very small percentage of beer drinkers chase the new too. Another interesting, <laughs> another interesting <laughs> point there. So every one of these keeps changing my own view yeah, on this. Yeah, exactly. So many different takes. I do wonder, I wish we could get that data on understanding how, well, maybe that's why all these, uh, you know, beer rating sites are being bought up, but how many people are actually seeking out new beers versus drinking things that are familiar? I think there's probably, uh, let's use the, the Vic. 
they have five, so the Vic in Colchester, they have five cast beers on, but two of them are the same. Mm. Yes. So it's ones they've done in collaboration with the Colchester Brewery, the Brown Beer, the Ambassador, and the Yorkshire Blonde. And they're on all the time. And I'm pretty certain they're still their biggest sellers. And, and you know, Rich Taylor, who's a big big listener of the show and has helped that many times with, with venue, I'm sure will be able to give us a few more stats and stuff. But it must be, it's, it's something that people would order straight away. And I've, I've, I've been in there for longer than I should be sessions. And there are some people who are only having the blonde or the ambassador. And I think Andy, who's the landlord, is a big fan of the ambassador the, as well. The, the brown one. Yeah. yeah. So I would say that people out, a lot of people outside of maybe craft beer bubble, for want of a better phrase, yeah. will have their beers that they like. Yeah. And the beers they will go for. And that's what they'll, they'll stick with. They know and trust them. And also, as far as they're concerned, they've got maybe a limited, a limited pool of money they're going to spend on beers. So I'm going to go for the ones I know I like. Yeah, yeah. right. There's a bit of a risk sometimes, especially yeah. as beer prices are going up, yeah, to definitely. spend a fiver or more on something you might not like. And yes, you can have a taster, but the taster may not necessarily represent the full pint. Yeah, and so a lot of people, I do think, stick to what they trust, what they know. Which is more than fine. And that's what you know people have done for years, though, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. No. That's what keeps these breweries around that are making great, yeah. consistent beer. It's not people turning up and having one half of one beer that's been produced once. That's not what necessarily keeps people in. Yeah. Yeah. In, interesting. So some of that drinking what you know may sometimes help people come into the new as well. Because I, I was in the Vic on Saturday and there was a fellow who was drinking the Ambassador pint by pint. And then all of a sudden he came to the bar and he's like, Can I have, oh, I want half and half. I want half of the Ambassador with half of five points railway porter in the same glass. And I was Sorry? yeah yeah it's like the olden days yeah people used to get their porters mixed behind <laughs> the I, bar I literally shuddered I was, <laughs> I was like what do you do <laughs> but he he had this half and half mix and he went away and he was quite happy and he drank it and so, so maybe his his how trust check, how did you check it in <laughs> his, his trust of the beer that he knows mixed with a beer that he's unfamiliar with may have built, given him the opportunity to have drunk the beer that he wasn't sure about mm. because he had that safety blanket of it was wrapped around his familiar beer. But it was still in the same glass. It was still in the same glass. <laughs> and, when, and when I worked the shift in there, um, somebody asked for the same, and but it was with the Yorkshire Blonde and Burning Skies Aurora, which I almost couldn't do. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, 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 can't, I can't do this to Burning Sky, but it's, it's what the customer wants. So they're asking for a half and half, and I'm like, okay. So they still need their safety net yeah. of the beer they trust and know and love. But they're, they're, I couldn't do that with one of my beers, but I know I love Yeah, I'm I just couldn't. shocked that people do that. I know, of course, there's like a lager shandy, but I didn't yeah. realize people were doing it with other beers. But these were, the this was cask beer as well. Yeah. And, and I, all I could think of, as, as, as I saw Rich doing it, was, my God, all you're going to taste is the railway pour. The, 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 yeah, that, that brown apple is just there to make up the pint. But it might and add the, a bit of sweetness yeah. from the caramel malts and make the kind of the smoky kind of rough edges of the... I was going to say, it might take away some, yeah, some of the... It might smooth it out, but it's still not... Yeah. I'm, there's part of me curious, but part of me is abhorred by that. 
suggestion. Yeah, I'm a well, bit shocked. I have well, to well, I'm sure. I'm sure Rich will comment as, as, soon, <laughs> as soon as he listens to this. I'm, I'm, I'm sure he'll give us some sure feedback on, but I on, do on love that. It. That's how people used to have their porter at the bar in the 1830s. So the porter would be long aged. So you would have the old, up to two year porter, and then the young, fresh porter. So you'd have the maturity of one and sort of the you know sprightliness of the younger one and the carbonation. And then you would ask at the bar for your blend of how much you wanted, whether it was half and half or two thirds, one third, that sort of thing. So it's quite interesting to, to see if maybe that trend will come yeah. back in. That's, that's very similar to Guinness and how they served Guinness back in the day, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Yeah. With, yeah. Which Having we've heard a number of times. Long-aged Guinness. Yeah, yeah. And, it was, and, and that's where the whole phrase of that pub serves a great pint of Guinness came from was the bartender's skill in blending the various ages of Guinness that they had in the cellar. Yeah, and it went away sort of by the 1860s when people were pre-blending the beers and serving it as one at the bar. And maybe it is just for ease of bartenders, but it is quite interesting that people are making mm. their own blends. I mean, definitely be easier. I mean, I remember going back to Ireland in the 70s, you'd have loads of Guinness just lined up yeah. and just getting... I, I wasn't thinking about it getting warm and stuff like that, but I was just thinking, it's just sitting there at the back of the bar. I think part of it was to avoid the fact that they weren't supposed to be serving after a certain time, but it was definitely how it was also definitely how people wanted to have it topped up later on as well. Mm. There was definitely that looking back. Interesting that. Um, from James EU at Gammon Baron. No, I've sucked a gallon of Timothy Taylors and Bathams this week. Is it Bathams or Bathams? This week and I have really enjoyed every job. It's consistency key. There will always be new fads inside the craft bubble. Whatever happened to Brute IPA? Good question. We yeah. have, although we did have one in, in, in uh, Prague. We, we did, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, which was, uh, I wasn't expecting to find a Brute IPA in a Pilsner Urquhart bar. But we actually discovered that, although it was packaged this kind of a craft beer. It was a Pilsner Urquhart. It was a Pilsner Urquhart <laughs> beer. It was, it was like the craft arm that they've created. Oh, wow. And was it any good? Did you enjoy it? It was okay. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't as good as a Pilsner Oak yeah, before. No, yeah, that's exactly. It, it was. Uh, it was one of their. They do like they were obviously doing something every month. And this was their February beer of month. So yeah. yeah, it was just a. It was their crafty arm. It was okay. I mean, I've never found a brute IPA that's blown me away. Anyway, so yeah, I mean, good question by him, and I'm a bit jealous of him drinking the gallon Timothy Taylor's and Bathams. <laughs> to be honest, I I don't see Bathams enough. I, well, I've never seen it on the wild. draft. Yeah, I've, I've, only ever, I've only had, ever had bottles of it. So yeah, maybe that's something that's something to put on the, the wish list. Yeah. Bacon's on cask in the right place. Yep. Um, from Pete at Hops and Hoops, voted no. I think we'll see a natural selection in the beer industry though. If the old is good, it will stand the test of time. See Jaipur. New breweries with little focus on quality and consistency will not stay the course. Valid point. Yeah, the, the Jaipur thing, again, very similar to the ghost ship discussion that, that we've already mentioned in terms of their, that they're now considered classic beers, not, not old beers. But um, not new either. No, but if I saw, if I walked into a bar and there was draft Jaipur on, particularly cast Jaipur, I'd, I'd, I'd be diving straight in straight away. Yeah, I wouldn't drink anything else. No, yeah, no, you wouldn't. I like the, the use of the word classic. That's very different than old. Yeah. The association of whether we appreciate its history versus it feeling out of date. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, again, that being never, for me, certainly, and obviously Fallbridge have done 
the rebranding as well, it doesn't feel out of date. It still feels as relevant now as it was when it first got launched. Yeah, I agree. And it's definitely, it was definitely for me the start of a bit of a beer journey and for, I know for a lot of other people as well, just because it was so different, so vibrant and like so many things happening with it. I mean, the first time I had that was 2011. Actually, my first ever work beer tasting here. Oh, wow. And I do think it's one of those beers that has like a special place in people's hearts if oh. it is the one that got you into it, that yeah. sort of thing. Without a doubt. Yeah. And it's a beer that's very much stood the test of time as well. Oh yeah, definitely. I don't think it's been through many different changes. I mean, I think tweaks to the recipe. Yeah, if if that. But no massive revolution to it. Not like you know some other beers, which is you know still the same, purport to be the same beer, but don't taste like it. I think Jaipur is pretty much on it still. Yeah, I've I've drunk more Jaipur since it's been in cans than ever before. <laughs> I really have. It's just made it more accessible. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, we don't see it in Castro. No. So. Um, so continuing on, Sir Sir Gwain eighty two at Gavin so Gavin Hutsby at Sir Gwain eighty two. What have you got? What's new? Which is something I hear mentioned frequently in the trade, usually starting with the customers, which then tends to find its way back up the chain. I've known folk walk out of places because there's been nothing new on or interesting. Now I've never experienced that. I've seen people walk out of places when they haven't found macro on, but they've come in for Foster's Carling. I was in a place near here which they said, have you got Guinness? And they, 10 people just walked out because there was no Guinness on. One of the, they managed to find one of the few places in the city which didn't have Guinness. <laughs> um, but I've never, I've never known people to walk out of places than you. Uh, from Ben Viver, at Ben Viver. No, the constant pursuit of the new is killing the stuff that was new the other day. The old largely endures. So again, he's got a bit of a definition here of uh, what he's defined as old then, hasn't he? Yeah. So, uh, you know, old being the, the constants, the, the core, they're still there. And then, you know, something new comes out, then something new kills that one, and then something new comes after that. So, you know, again, another, another flavour to the answers, really. I think, I think that's an interesting one, because I think, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know, I'm sure Ben will let us know, but it feels like there are a number of breweries that are almost killing, them, killing themselves so to speak, in terms of the amount of new releases they're putting out. So there, 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 are, there are a few that there'll be a two or three new releases every week. And, and you just sometimes you sit back and think, how is this sustainable? How can you sustain consistently bringing new beers out without actually damaging the beers that you bought out last week? Because you're not really giving people a chance to try those. And, and nobody within the, the, their right mind possibly, or within their right, within, unless they've got deep pockets, can keep up with the constant stream of new releases coming out from, from, from certain breweries. I mean, I can think of two or three off the top of my head, but what one that I am thinking about as well was um, because when we were away um, in Czechia, we had Alice with us who works for Gypsy Hill, and she was talking about how their their plan is to bring out four new beers every month, isn't it? As well as their core range. As, as well as their core range. Now, Gypsy Hill aren't a massive brewery in terms of their output. So that's quite a commitment that they've made to bring out four new beers every month, plus core range. Well, to give you context, it's a, it's a commitment that Brewdog couldn't keep up with. No, when no. When they first started Fanzine, it was three new beers every two weeks. Then it went to three new beers every month, and now it's a mixture of uh, beers they've done before as well as new beers. 
And that's bearing in mind the size of BrewDog. Now, obviously, I know they've given some of that size over to the Overworks, and some of that size is obviously going towards servicing supermarkets. But it's a commitment that BrewDog can feel they could keep up with after a while. No. So I'm surprised. I mean, and Gypsy Hill do have a very good reputation, to be fair to them. And there's a lot of love, especially for their core range. But that's a lot of beers over the course of a year in a small brewery to, to really turn them over. And to make something out of it. I mean, I would have thought having a range, core range of four to six plus maybe one new beer, and then maybe if you're doing a collaboration every now and again, that's still going to be 12 to 15 beers a year on top of your core range. It's a lot of beer. It's, it's, logistically, it must be a hell of a challenge. Yeah. Yeah, right. Like you said, is it even giving customers a chance to get to like the beer well, that, before no, it disappears? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. And then you think about all the extra work, creating a new label, getting your website up, doing all the social media around it. It's a lot of investment, not only in making the beer, but then also the follow-up to sell said beer if it's... Well, you're having to around. invest in people as well, aren't you, yeah. to, to do those jobs? Yeah. And time. Yeah. And time, time is the biggest cost in, in real terms and financial terms. That's the biggest, that's the biggest cost. And it, like I said... Brewdog felt they couldn't do it justice and look at the size of Brewdog in comparison to other breweries that do and Gypsy Hill is just one example other breweries do do something very similar I mean I'm still surprised at the amount that Formbridge can do I know Formbridge are a bigger concern than Gypsy Hill but they still churn out a lot of a lot of beer and bear in mind a lot of theirs is stuff on cask as well so you are always surprised at how much they can mm. then churn out so there are obviously very clever ways to do it but you can sometimes maybe kill your own brand as well. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. Just, How are you just giving a little those bit. new ones enough yeah. time to stick and become an old one if you're constantly producing something new? Well, there yeah, were, there were times with the fanzine that say it comes out one week and you don't, say you don't want to drink them during the week and save it to the weekend. If you miss a weekend out, you are on top of the next release. And it's like, then the moment's gone for the, the first three, you're then on the next three. But the same, you know, four months, it's still, adds up if you're buying your beers elsewhere as well I mean I mean, good luck to them I, know, I haven't heard anything negative in terms of quality and stuff like that but it's a, it's a very good example and, and there will but I suppose at the end of the day there will be people out there buying the beers and, and whether it's trying to keep up with buying every single beer or whether it's a cross section of people that are buying different beers obviously the, 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 the throughput is there because otherwise they wouldn't be committing to still doing it no and they've got our attention because we are talking about it Absolutely, yeah. So, there, you know, there is there is maybe something to be said for doing it. Yeah. After all. Yeah. Um, next up from Simon Dewhurst, at Simo Sloth. Uh, today I've been in the railway tavern in Chelmsford, then hopped across the road to the Owl House. Perfect example of uh, how old and new can live side by side. Thought I'd put that one in there because it was quite personal to us. <laughs> uh, knowing both of those venues really well, I, I think he's got a point there. Yeah, the uh, the railway tavern opposite the Chelmsford station on one side of the va- of the uh, railway bridge versus the Anhouse on the other side. Although the Anhouse has a very good range of cask beers, they definitely go further afield for their cask beers than say the railway does. The railway definitely focuses on the local Essex scene for their cask offerings, and probably their craftiest keg is probably Ghost Ship on Keg, which is a fairly regular occurrence in there. I definitely sank a few of them when I was watching one of the World Cup matches in there, I know that much. Um, whereas there's a lot more change in the alehouse. So as a, as, a, as a contrast, and again, depending on your point of view of old and new, it's actually quite a good, good contrast, that one. Yeah, very good. Yeah, knowing what venues to go to then to fit your needs and whether, yeah, you want the old familiar or you're in that mood to experiment. 
Yeah, no, I quite like that. Yeah. Uh, and comparing the old and new as in locations. Yeah. Yes. Not just. Because the railway town is always busy. It's not quite a pub. I know it's location as well, but there's a lot of people in there when you go there who are definitely there as regulars. So although it's a city centre pub, it's definitely got regular feel to it. So mm-hmm. I quite like the contrast in locations rather than just the beers. Yeah, it puts an, another little twist on it, doesn't yeah. it? Um, from Matt Curtis at Total Curtis, at Friends and Family in Beer, I saw a balanced mix of people chasing the rares and those just sipping, enjoying and socialising. Both can and do happily coexist. Yeah. Yeah, I've got that. Yeah. I've nothing, nothing to add to that. I mean, whatever happened to Matt Curtis anyway? It's nice to hear from him, isn't it? Uh, from Sean O'Reilly at Uncrulia. I think that established brands are safe, but I wonder how easy it is for new beer to become an established brand. Could the pursuit of new prevent the establishment of new classics? Jaipur, Citra, Goship are all modern classics, but which beers are going to be the next, as in, I suppose, the next modern classics? It'd be quite hard to predict. I suppose the closest I'll come up with is Railway Porter. I, th- I think that's one. I think one you mentioned earlier, Nat, Powerfire by Pressure Drop, is a, very much a beer that's been lauded since it was it was released but you don't really see it so much because pressure dropper focusing on new beer new beer new beer new beer but whenever i've had powerful i've always gone i should have more of it yeah where do you i don't know where to find it anymore when i worked at mother kelly's back in 2015 we had it on all the time and now i know i can go to the experiment and get it but i don't really see it anywhere else so yeah that was kind of an example for me of one where their pursuit of the new is killing their own new or old I don't really know yeah. how to look or at their, it or their classic or the, the beer that made them yeah the beer that definitely got them on uh, people's radar was definitely powerful wasn't yeah. it yeah absolutely So I'd, I'd be interested to hear from the listeners on this one actually let, I'd, I'd let us know what you think is going to be the next kind of set of modern day classics in terms of beers yeah I'm going to put it out there as Railway Porter would come under the modern day classic even though it hasn't been around for well, as old as the ones referenced by Sean there, is like, you know, Jaipur and Goshit, but it's definitely one when you see it. Most people have it when they see it. Yeah. It's quite style-defining. Yeah. Yeah. It's what I, people go, yeah, that's what a London porter should be, even though it's actually relatively new beer. Yeah, I, I did on Saturday when I went into the Vic, they had it on, and I was like, a pint of railway porter. It was, my, it was the first beer. Because you saw it. Yeah. And you said, I like that. And it's yeah. cask, and it's not something... You see very often out in Essex <laughs> in, in, in cask, so I, was, I wasn't going to miss that, that yeah. was for sure. I'm doing a talk tomorrow at a trade show about great British beers, and so we're doing a porter, a bitter, and an IPA, and the porter is railway porter. Absolutely. Very sensible. So it's kind of that, yeah. yeah, what is a good modern example of that style, and yeah, it's a very good point. Yeah. Uh, from Sophie at So Beer Blogger, I voted no because even though new beers are exciting, there can be big hypes around in them not all become memorable. I think most people are looking for consistency and will tend to go for old favourites, but try new beers periodically. It's probably r- roughly where I am, actually. It's probably the one, the, the comment which we've chosen, one of the comments we've chosen, it's probably the closest to where I am. I'd definitely go for the consistent regularity, but once I've done that, I'm quite happy to try other beers. But I tend to start off, as I said before, with my established ones, the ones yeah. I already know and trust. This adds a new dimension to me then, thinking about favourites. What becomes someone's favourite? Because we all have different taste perceptions, different taste preferences. So maybe it is hard to predict what's going to work well because then it needs to please a lot of palates. 
Yeah. Whereas something that you might hope to stick around because it's your favorite might not be the most appealing flavor for a mass audience. True. I seem to be okay at the moment, though, with the ones I like. (laughs) They've got wide appeal. They they seem to be wide enough appeal, but they're not going anywhere soon. So I'm I'm fine with that. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, you're right. So, you know, the, the, well, I suppose Pale Fire is actually quite a good example. You know, you like it. There must be other people who like it, but somehow, for whatever reason, they're not really brewing much of it or not putting it out into the wild as much. And if you really, the only place you can get it mainly, maybe be the odd online retailer or at the experiment, doesn't make it very accessible anymore, does it? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that is a shame when that happens because there are beers which people were noticed in the past have gone, oh, wish they still did that. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. that is again another, another flavor for it. Um, and I think the last of our comment is uh, from a previous guest of the show, Chris Hall at Chris Hall Beer. The pursuit of the new is killing the new. In the tiny craft segment of the whole beer category, and the further, further tiny subsegment of the cutting edge of it, that last thing that should be happening is stagnation into haze, pastry, fruit loop, or everything else. Chris, Chris being typically Chris there with that, with that statement, isn't he? I do you like the word fruit loop? Yeah, fruit loop. Just one word. Yeah. Yeah, I've never used that. Well, I might use it more often now. Everyone's got to start somewhere. Maybe people's gateways are different. Um, but yeah, that's that's sort of the, again, new perspective that Chris's comment opened up for me. I think every comment just made us think more things, that it was even yeah. harder to find our own answers. Yeah, definitely. And I still have, the closest for me would be Sophie's, but I haven't got a definitive. No, I haven't. But I, I, I love what you just said said there as, as, a, as a great summary to this, that people's gateways are different. And, and if, if something has brought somebody in to the world of tasty beer, then their journey is only beginning and and they've got a whole spectrum of, of, of things to discover. And thank you to everyone who contributed to that. Yes. That was really interesting, that was. Yeah, absolutely. And feel, please feel free to continue contributing, use the hashtag opinions, and, and we'll find you. So final thoughts on the uh, Lupuloid from Beavertown then? I stopped thinking about it. As we were chatting through, obviously the very interesting opinions. I so, have to admit to have done. I was just drinking yeah, and, just and, and chatting. Yeah, but I must have. I, th- that does say to me I must have been enjoying it for starters, just at a really base level. If I'm just drinking it and not really paying any attention to it, I was enjoying it. And I did try to, you know, while either you were speaking now or you, Steve, pay a bit more attention to it. Um, there was that. There, you know, we said there was no little aroma at the start when the glass was full and it was a bit too cold. A bit more did come on. Uh, as the glass, as the beer warmed up in the glass, and there was a bit more air in the glass and a bit more space. Um, actually, it is actually a very enjoyable beer, but it just w- it still wouldn't be the one I'd go for, or the one of the two I'd go for. No, it, it wouldn't for me either. I'd, I'd still go for Nikhil or Gamera. I'm not really sure where it sits in their range of beers. I'm almost surprised they still do it, if that makes sense. Yeah, that is a good point. I, I would choose Nikhil as well, but for me, it's more about the ABV. So yeah. this, I, I didn't finish the whole thing knowing that I have more to talk about. So <laughs> that, you know, I want to make sure I don't run my mouth too much. Um, I had a, definitely more citrus comes out as it's warmed up a bit, yeah. a little bit of grapefruit. So it's not all that savory characteristic. There is some nice bright citrus. But I had a thought, do you call green onions green onions here? Or are they spring onions or are they something else? Spring, spring onions. onions. Yeah, I was saying green onions and getting this look from you both like, what the heck is that? I, I kind of suspected what you were going for. Yeah, the long yeah. ones that yeah. are green. Yeah, but there are a few words from the States <laughs> that are different that I say here. That I'm, And then when I go home to the States, I say their own things. Like, you know, here you say like takeaway, but there you say to go. So I go home and I say, oh yeah, can I have this? 
to I think, take away. I think it's the bag of chips. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So yeah, green onions, spring onions. Yeah. You know. No, that's fine. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, yeah. I enjoyed it. I just I don't know really where it sits in there. No, I, d- I don't know where it sits, but as yeah. as far as being a beer that you can drink without thinking about, kind of did the job. Yeah. Oh yeah, it probably falls into the category of the first one in a slightly different way. But if you just pour it for me and it's a it's a nice refreshing hit. Hot, hot day yeah I would I would drink it and not really think about it after a while yeah which is what I did and it's mm-hmm. funny too I find 6.7 to be too strong for me here whereas in the states that's quite standard for an IPA whereas Nekola yeah. is sort of 4 4.3 I think very hard to get that sort of percentage over there isn't yeah, it yeah exactly really difficult to get that in the states but here I would drink that no problem yeah. because I know I can have a good amount of it I suppose I still have my public health hat on sometimes and like drink responsibly so <laughs> strong ABVs I tend to be a bit more cautious about that's good we're over 100 episodes in I think that's the first drink responsibly message we've ever given, <laughs> well, given so thank you very much no. we still more often we're, <laughs> we're really that's why we've got men behaving badly saying that every time <laughs> my favourite um, you know drink responsibly tagline is the one from Duval brewed with care to be consumed with care but talking about classics absolutely uh, a beer that I'm very excited yes. to try what we've got coming up next um, this is uh, Gibraltar Porter from the Cheshire Brew House, and this is an 1889 Heritage Porter. For a moment, I thought you were going to say it's 18 point. (laughs) Oh my God. Now, we've had Heritage beers from Shane at the Cheshire Brew House before. Yes. And he knows his stuff. Yes. Um, So when when he said he was releasing this, uh, a few subtle nudges on Twitter um, (laughs) then uh, led to him sending a few of these. So thank you very much. Yes, really, really appreciative of that, Shane. Actually, I met Shane's um, brother, Rich, at At the the, weekend at, at the Vic. And he hasn't even got any of these yet. <laughs> so he was, a, he, he was a little bit upset. So yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to, to try this one. There's, there's, there's some text on the side of the can. Cans are beautiful, by the way. So yeah, this is a lovely looking can. This is first time Cheshire Brewhouse have done cans. These cans are absolutely stunning. The artwork on these was done um, by the same fella that's behind the ABV artwork that we... Our rebrand. Yeah, our, our rebrand is oh, that we're that we'll be Twitter good. profile. Yes. Very yeah. Cool. yeah, so yeah, that's a nice little time. Because that's part of what he does as well, is is kind of designs for, for, for brewery. So it is a beautiful looking can. Um the beer looks fantastic in the glass. I'm really excited to try um, this. I'm ready to I'm gonna to, stop talking about yeah. it and uh cheers. <laughs> cheers. Okay. Um sorry for the long pause, I'm gonna inhale for five minutes. Yeah, yeah. I have a really big smile on my face, it just smells amazing. Yeah. Oh, it does smell so good. I'm just going to go, yeah, that is tasting as good as it smells. Yeah. That's delicious. Yeah, that's really nice. That is really, really delicious. Like, lots of dark chocolate on the yeah. nose, a little bit of smoke. Real, but it's, it's almost, it's a real hint. Yeah. It's almost suggested, rather than just banging you straight away. Yeah. I think the smoke comes through on the flavour towards the back The flavour's quite smoky. But I also not overpowering. Do get, yeah, I get a lot of caramel sweetness to kind yeah. of lift it. So it's no real coffee to speak of. It's more, it's more like you know, bitter chocolate yeah. coming through. Yeah, but it's a real treat. I have to admit. It's yeah. Very, what's what's so what's the, the details? Okay, so um, originally brewed in eighteen eighty nine by Mew Langton Brewing Co. on the Isle of Wight. Uh, first brewed by the Cheshire Brew House as a collaboration with Rising Tide. Brewing Co. from Portland in November 2018, uh, rebrewed with Heritage 
Chevalier Barley Malt, Brown Malt, Black Malt, Demerara Sugar and the finest English Goldens. To be enjoyed and shared with only the best of friends. Cheers. It's lovely. Yeah. It is absolutely delicious, isn't it? Yeah. And hopefully this time I, I poured it better. I left a bit of room in the glass this time. <laughs> Thank you. We took it out of the ice bucket a bit earlier. Um, well, I mean, this is probably the third time we've had beers from the Cheshire Brew House on the show. And every time we've really enjoyed them. I mean, the first time we had them, I ordered a case on the way home. We were recording in uh, a bo- an off-license in Shenfield in those days. And between there and getting home, I'd ordered a case of the beers we'd had from the Cheshire Brew House. That was the Govinda, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, the, the Govinda, the Chevalier, the Wee Heavy. Yeah. Um, and just ordered a case of it. I was just blown away by how good the, the beers were. Yeah, it's yeah. so flavourful. Yeah. It's, that is so good. And wondering if these beers were so good then, what happened in the, what happened for a period of time in between World War One didn't help, presumably. Yeah. But, you know, these, these, these beers are fantastic, aren't they? I mean, this is a... But what did you say the percentage? Uh, oh, no, I didn't, actually. Um, it is... 8.1 no Ooh, my word I didn't think it would be that strong no I didn't it does. It certainly doesn't taste anywhere near that no it hasn't got that sort of boozy hit I mean it's I'm wondering if it's slightly hidden by the kind of smoky like lightly burnt character yeah and we're getting that. a bit of astringency from that that might hide any alcohol warmth it hasn't got that sort of thick viscous yeah, body either so it's not really lending yeah. itself either is it yeah I suppose I do feel a bit of warmth from mm. it really really lovely that is really good glad we've got well we had to drink the other can now it's open oh shame we <laughs> opened done. it damn schoolboy error <laughs> <laughs> well while we're enjoying this and probably the rest of the second can um, we've got some some questions from our, our listeners for you Nat um, I think we may have answered some of these in one way or another but we'll, we'll go through them anyway because it's it's always great when people take the time to actually contribute to the show and ask questions so thanks to everybody that did send questions in um, first up from Mr WP at Mr underscore SWP uh, what made you get out of your comfort zone and quit your job for this hoppy life <laughs> and why beer uh, I think because I had done it once before, I felt a little bit more confident in sort of making this change. So when I left grad school and I moved to New York, I didn't have a job. I just had a a sort of passion to follow, which at that time was talking to people about food safety and nutrition. And it all worked out. And it was a month from exactly a month to the day from when I landed in New York to when I started at the job. So it was just get there, hit the ground running, make it work. And I had that same experience then moving to London. I moved on August 1st in 2015, and that was a Saturday. And then on the Monday, I was at Mother Kelly's dropping off my CV, and on the Friday, I had a trial shift, and by the end of that week, I was on the Rota. So I think it's just about really knowing what I wanted, and I didn't necessarily know how I was going to get there, but knowing what I wanted to do and just making sure I knocked on the right doors and and told people, I'm here, I clearly, I'm committed, I made this big move. So, you know, if you want to help me, I'll do my best to help you, that sort of thing. So it was a risk and I've taken yet another risk by leaving Duval and kind of going into the unknown of starting my own business. And I'm learning that I, there is a, a lot more to learn, but it's, I think, just about giving myself the time and again, knowing the direction I want to go in and also realizing there's, you know, a lot of support. There are other people who have started their own thing or done things differently. I can listen to podcasts. I can talk to people. I can pick other people's brains. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely a big change, but I'm doing work that I love and I just want to be doing more of it. So I think, yeah, if, 
if you've got a passion, it's not, it's not always the right advice for everyone to say just jump ship and do your own thing. But if you feel confident, there is a way to, to make it work. And why beer? Um, I think just my friends introduced me to it and I fell in love with it. But the more I reflected on why beer is so interesting to me, it's really embarrassing. But I've made up like a, a, reason, <laughs> a reason for why. I call it my ABC philosophy. A, I can achieve expertise. When I was in school initially studying microbiology, I wanted to get a PhD, and I realized I wasn't actually very good at doing science. I was much better at talking about it, but I still had always had this dream to become an expert in something. And with the Cicerone certification program and being able to pursue these certifications, I now, as a level three, as an advanced Cicerone, it actually says a distinctive expertise in beer. And I'm like, oh my God, I can call myself a beer expert. So being able to achieve expertise in something and something so interesting and fascinating is beer. You know, we can talk about the science of it, the history of it, the cultural aspects, food and beer pairing, how we describe flavors, the science of flavor, like it is endless what you can learn. So getting to be really geeky about something was one part of it. But then the B is this idea of bringing people together. Like, look at us sitting here enjoying beers. Yep. It's amazing the way that it connects people and it allows us to realize that we're all a lot more alike than we are different just by sitting and sharing a beer. Whether you meet some new people down at the pub or you know through the Crafty Beer Girls or I travel to you know the Czech Republic or somewhere new like that, we may not speak the same language but we have this common language of beer and I think that's really fascinating how it connects people. And then the last bit, C, is S-E-E and it just allows you to see the world. Being in America, I've been to Rising Tide Brewery in Portland, in Maine, the collaboration that you know this beer initially came from. Uh, I've traveled to St. Louis. I've traveled all over California. I've you know been to Denver. Like I've taken my girlfriends on trips for my 25th. We went to St. Louis for a, a beer weekend, and then coming to Europe and being able to travel to all these different places and experience their unique beer cultures. It's just endless fascination. So I'm hooked. Excellent. Okay. He wasn't expecting that answer. No, I bet he wasn't. But that's, 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 that's great. That really explains kind of your how you got to where you are now. Yeah, like the philosophy on it all. It's just fascinating yeah. to me. So next up from Carl M at Marshall R. Carl. Um, Nat has been seen to progress in the industry and has a wide variety of roles within it. Having had experience in various sectors, what does she feel would help benefit women in the industry who want to get into the industry or further their career? If it's education or type of jobs. I think we talked a little bit about this with the podcast previously. For me, it's really about allowing people to see, you know, the roles that they can be. And I am quite conscious about trying to talk to women from different parts of the industry, different parts of the country, um, with different backgrounds to make sure that you know there is a place for you, whatever role you want to pursue. Um, but in any industry, it is difficult for women, not all women, but some women just have a confidence gap compared to men. You know, there are statistics that say that if there's a list of things for a job description, men will apply for the role if they meet six out of the 10, women need to meet nine out of the 10. So it's not just about beer, it's about some of the other things, maybe culturally, that are holding women back. Um, so for me, pursuing my certifications really helped me get the confidence I needed to walk into any bar or host a tasting, um, or you know even be here with you guys and feel like I can knowledgeably talk about these beers and, know that I have a seat at the table and and not everyone needs to do that and of course the certifications are expensive and I understand reasons why people don't go for them but for me personally it just gave me the confidence to be able to take that next step in my beer career um, so if anybody else does want to do them I'm more than happy to 
give pointers and talk about the difference between beer sommelier and Cicerone and those sorts of things. Um, so everyone is different, but the final thing I'll say on that is just having a support network. So, you know, I try to highlight women in, through the podcast or encourage other people to get their certifications. You don't need to do any of those things as long as you have people that support you. And for me, it's the Crafty Beer Girls. I met them in 2015. So it was founded by Natasha Wolf and by Alex Shaw. And I met them in 2015 when I first moved here. And like, just they're, they've been a constant source of support, meeting all these women who either love beer. You don't need to work in the industry to be a part of it. Um, we do monthly meetups and it's anyone who likes beer or works in beer that all gets to get together and have a chat. And I think just moments where you're like, oh, this happened to me, or oh, I'm nervous about this, or I tried this amazing beer and I just want to share it with someone. Maybe you don't have female friends that drink beer. You get all of that from the Crafty Beer Girls. And it's a Facebook group, so even if you're not in London, you can then kind of engage in that way as well. So I highly recommend that as a really good support system for other people to help support each other in the industry. And probably a slight spoiler warning, I believe we've got the Crafty Beer Girls coming up in the summer. We yeah. have. We've, 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 got them, we've got them booked in for, for, for a show. Or they've right. got us booked in, depending on your point of view. To be yes. honest. Yeah. <laughs> Look out for that. We, where, where we get to learn some more stuff again. Yeah, so looking forward to that one. I just keep banging the drum for the Crafty Beer Girls, because they've been such an important part of my beer journey, and I want other women to you know, know that that network is here for them as well. I think the big thing for me is that, and again, referencing back to your podcast, within a few minutes of listening to the podcast, I'm, I haven't, I'm not really taking the fact that you're both women talking to each other. Yeah. And I think that's the important thing as well, is that then you go past that gender. And you're bit. just like, oh, there's two beer lovers or two knowledgeable yeah. folks about beer. And yeah, exactly. What can I learn from them? Yeah, and uh, uh, I think that's also important as well. But I can understand, I think I've, I've heard other women in the beer industry saying the same thing about getting maybe, like the professional qualifications so that they they're already marked themselves. We can we can talk about it. Whereas you know you 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 are way more qualified than me and Steve. Um, but yeah, I know what you're saying. There's almost oh a bloke oh he must know a bit about beer. It'd be, it'd be like saying about football. Yeah. There's plenty of women I know who know plenty about football and more. And if they have played it or refereed or coached it then they've taken some qualifications as well, but the automatic default will be the bloke knows a bit more. They're assumed not to. Yeah, yeah so exactly. I can definitely, definitely see where it's coming from. I, I, I definitely think it's closing though. I definitely think that gap is is closing. Yeah. And not just in beer, lots of things, but I think the, the, the podcast, the biggest compliment I can pay is I forget about it, it's just, it's women talking. That's awesome, thank you. Yeah, they just, everyone's got such a great story to tell. And I guess the last bit I'll say, because I do feel that, that more women are kind of working in the beer space, but I think the next thing for me to work on is outside of the beer bubble. How do we get more women drinking beer? Because there was a study done last year uh, by this organization called Deolatis, which is all about getting more women into beer. And it said that about 53% of men drink beer regularly, so once a week, but it's only 17% of women. And the things that are holding people back, holding women back are male-oriented advertising, concerns about calories, and this fear of being judged by other people, sometimes by other women, when drinking a beer. Uh, so that's sort of the next thing I want to work on. How do I get beyond the beer bubble and get people outside of beer into beer by changing some of these stereotypes and letting them know that a half pint of Guinness is the exact same amount of calories as a small glass of wine. And most people say, oh, but Guinness is, you know, the amount yeah. of calories is a Sunday roast. It is not at all. It's actually one of the lower calorie options because it's made with um, lots of roast barley, so it's very dry, but it's got that nitro gas in it, so it makes it feel creamier and fuller, but it's not any higher in calorie content. So kind of working to bust some of those myths is what I want to work on next. I know there could be your next book. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> see how this first one does. <laughs> okay, so the last question from James at Gammon Baron. And I think James is a little bit obsessed here because it's another question about Brute IPA. <laughs> it's all the man ever talks about. Um, is, Brute, is Brute IPA mentioned in your new book or is it too flash in the pan? Unfortunately, James, Brute IPA is not mentioned in the book. No, he's, he's not buying it. So it's too flash in the pan. <laughs> oh dear, I've lost one reader. <laughs> so yes, unfortunately it didn't make the cut. Okay, that's. Uh, I think we probably knew the answer to that anyway. Yeah. Um, but it gives us quite a nice segue actually because um, you've mentioned it a few times, you've mentioned it there. You are, uh, as, as this podcast goes live, you're about two weeks away from yeah. launching your first book. Yeah, March 19th. Uh, which we've got on the table here, Beer... Taste the Evolution in 50 Styles, in a stunning cover, by the way. The colours really stand out on the cover. Um, tell us about the book, what's, without giving too much away. Um, <laughs> what's, what, what's, what's, the, what, what's in there? What's it about? Where did the idea come from for it? So the best way for me to sum it up is I call it a taster's guide through the history of beer. So essentially, as I was doing my studies for Beer Sommelier and Cicerone, I just learned all these fascinating stories about how different beer styles evolved. And I didn't do any new research. You know, these are all stories that are out there. But I just felt like you really had to dig to find them. And they were in different places and different books. And I wanted to bring them all together into one place that was easy to find and easy to read because I was so fascinated by them. And it just makes stuff make sense. And I think that's kind of the running theme, what I've realized about what I do and what I enjoy doing. Instead of telling people, you know, you should expect these flavors from this style, if you learn the story of how it evolved and the other styles that inspired it, you know, even just that idea of it was a best bitter that then had American hops that gave us Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, if you're familiar with those ingredients, you can then know what flavors to expect. So it's really just about allowing people to understand how we got to this amazing world of beer that we currently live in by starting with um, looking at the, through the lens of beer's four main ingredients, how the ingredients have changed over the years, and then how that introduces new styles to us as beer drinkers. And it's we've we've had a little look through it tonight. Yeah. And I, I'm not I'm not a big reader. I, I I will admit that. But this is set out. This almost feels like it's designed for me because it's in bite-sized chunks. I don't have to read more than probably two pages about a particular the longest is three subject yeah. so i got you yeah yeah, exactly. yeah. So, so you've got me because otherwise normally my interest is going after the first paragraph or so yeah um but this is set out in a way that it does break it down it's got um i really like the the lineal timeline yeah uh, along the top of it as well which all, all of this stuff where i'm describing things i'm seeing is obviously working really well on the audio podcast <laughs> Uh, right, I'm going to share some photos this week yeah. on my Twitter and yeah. my Instagram's little teasers so people can find um, it. It's a, it's a nice um, size. What is it? It's almost like a bigger than an A5 A5 size. size. A5, is a it? A bit bigger than an, yeah. A, yeah. Than an A5, so it's, yeah. So it's not quite pocket size, but it's not like a beer moth or a, a book, is it? It's not like massive, but you have to find some massive storage space for it. <laughs> so yeah, you could, you I did could, read one like that in researching it, the Belgian beer book. Oh my word, it's absolutely massive. So yeah, the idea, if, you know, if people have read, I actually have to say I'm not a very big reader either, and my boyfriend still laughs at me that I wrote a book, because he's like, when was the last time you wrote, you actually read one? <laughs> you know? Like, you, you probably wrote one before you read one last. Um, but the idea really for me is that it's a marriage between Pete Brown's uh, Miracle Brew, which again is in classic Pete Brown style, these amazing stories through the lens of malt, water, hops, and yeast, 
meets Melissa Cole's Little Book of Craft Beer, which is short stories about different beers. It's beautifully illustrated. And for me, this is sort of a marriage of the two, where again, we're looking through that, that lens of the ingredients, but having these short stories that give you just enough information to be like, oh, that's fascinating. I didn't know that. Where do I learn more? So each of the stories then has a beer to taste so that you can bring those flavors to life. And then there's recommended reading in the back. If you do find some particular topic you're fascinated in, you'll know exactly where to go to read more about it. And 10 of my favorite places to visit too, that I visited along the way. Oh, cool. I, I do look forward to having a, a full full read of that myself. So yeah. that'd be yeah. good fun. And also, it feels like it's one to just spark, it's spark people's curiosity. That's the hope. I'm at this place where, again, I just want to bring more people into this wonderful world of beer. And the illustrations are by a woman called Sarah Greeno, uh, and the publisher is Kyle Books, found her, and she's just brilliant. And I know I wrote the words, but I think it's going to be the images that get people in, and then hopefully the words will allow mm-hmm. them to, to learn something new. Um, but yeah, it's something that you know I can see in sort of unexpected places that I think if people pick it up and, and see these beautiful illustrations, they'll then want to learn the stories behind them. So that's the goal. How long did it take you to write it? In all, it's almost been a two-year process. And like, I've never had an idea to write a book, but a friend of mine who, a former flatmate, Jess Dennison, she wrote a cookbook. And it kind of then just like grounded the whole thing for me. Like, oh, people like us, like normal people can write books. I didn't know how to get into that world or anything about that world. And it was never really an interest of mine. And then when I saw Jess writing a book about her passion, uh, her books are Salad Feasts and Tin Can Magic. If you like to cook, go find them. Steve's definitely not buying a Salad Feast one. <laughs> I can tell you that one now. <laughs> and Tin Can Magic is for you. Um, yeah, just seeing Jess do it and you know make her passion come to life. Then I kind of started thinking and letting ideas sink in, like, oh, could I do something similar? And it just seemed to me that, yeah, these stories were just too hard to find and they're too good to miss. And putting them all together in a book like this, it, it just worked. And... Um, I, on a wall in the flat, you know, kind of found all the beer styles I wanted to include and figured out the way to organize them. One was under the malt, water, hops, and yeast headlines and would, you know, move them about to see where they best fit. And it was, uh, it was a long process. Definitely. I started thinking about it in sort of, uh, April, May, 2018, after I finished my beer sommelier exam, then I had put the proposal together by July. And that was literally after asking Jess for hers, which was for a cookbook. So a bit different and Googling how to write a book proposal. Again, anyone can do this. (laughs) Then sent it in in August, uh, got a yes in September, got the contract in November, wrote it between January and April, 2019. Then it went into edits and layout, and then it was sent off to print in September of 2019, and then I got to see my first copy in January 2020, and it comes out on March 19th. So it's just a world I never expected to be in. I still don't really believe it's real that I've written a book, but if it can help other people get into this world that I love so much, then it's doing what I want it to do. So you had a wall with different... I'm picturing one of those walls they use in a murder investigation. Yeah. (laughs) Bit of string linking so the hops to the malt to I the yeast to the water. all different colour post-its and so yeah each colour oh very agile yep each colour would represent a different ingredient and kind of figuring out where to place it and then yeah there's that lovely timeline across the top my cousin suggested that she's an architect and a designer and yeah just really helped come up with a visual sense so I put together a proposal of what I wanted it to look like and it's actually very similar in the final layout to what my initial proposals were so that's, that's quite brilliant. cool to see it, it go must, must have been an amazing moment to have actually held the, oh yeah the, the, I cried the final it was big oh yeah. I would have I done I would have yeah. jumped up and down yeah. all of the all of the emotions must have well, been well and that exact day I found out I passed my advanced Cicerone so it was just like 
great. Oh, that's a great day. Yeah. I mean, yeah. January tenth, twenty twenty, day that will go down. You did have a you me. did have a beer that day, surely. It was big. Oh yeah, I had a West Letter in twelve. I had one in my house. Mine doesn't like that beer. Two and a half years. You know, it's the only person in the world. <laughs> it was. I had it sitting in the house, and I was like, oh, "I'll have it when I turn 30 And then I didn't end up having it then. And yeah, and it was there, and I was like, "Tonight is the night. This is this is a celebration." It's not like I don't know. It's just it's not the best version for me. But that's a different. That's a different so that's show. A different discussion, yeah. which we've had many times. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm sure we'll have again. Well, um, now we're going to give one lucky listener um, the opportunity to, to win uh, one of yes. your books, which you're going to sign for them as well yes. and, and send off. So when, when we know it is, we can even get the message personalised as, as, as well if we like. And all you've got to do to be able to have a chance of winning this um, is DM us the answer to this question, which is quite simply, um, tell us where was Nat's first job in beer when she came to the UK? That's all you've got to let us know. And you've got until the 29th of March to get your entries in. Um, and then we'll put all the names in a hat and draw out a winner um, shortly after and let you know. So thanks for letting us um, have a copy of the book yeah, of to, to, to give away. That's, that, that's great. And um, I'm sure somebody will be uh, very appreciative of getting that and, and having a read through it. I can't wait for it to get out into the wild. I know we've mentioned that word, you know, that phrase a couple of times about people finding beers in the wild, but this has been, you know, a project in my head for two years. And yeah. No one's seen it yet. So in two weeks' time, it will be in the wild. And It'll I be out there. So, so where can, where can people order it if they want to if they want to actually buy a copy, if they, if they don't think they're going to win the, the competition? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll find out. You might get a signed copy. Um, you can order it through Amazon. It's currently available to pre-order, but it's also going to be in Waterstones and Foils and many more good books are sold. Okay. Like that. So we'll put a link on... In in the show notes to Amazon if people want to get it from there um, and, that, and they can have a look and, and, and pre-order it from there. That would there. be great. Brilliant. Thank you. Ex- excellent. So um, what's next for you, Nat? Where, where do you go from here? You've, you've come so far in, in, in such a small amount of time. Where, where do you see yourself going in the future? To be honest, I'm not too sure. I'm definitely figuring that out myself. But the next project I would like to take on is doing some YouTube videos. So I want to work on helping people better understand sort of the language of beer and uh, everyone has different flavor perceptions and it's very, very difficult to actually say the words from when we're tasting beers. Literally our brain is not set up to turn aroma and taste signals into words. Um, they're processed by the, the emotion and memory centers of the brain and not the higher thinking centers of the brain responsible for vocabulary. So it is very difficult to describe flavors. So I want to work on helping people get better at that by doing some YouTube videos explaining how to taste beer, what beer is made from, and how these four ingredients can give us over 100 different beer styles. Excellent. Well, good luck with that. Yeah, good luck. That, that we're well. never ever going to go down that route. No, no. <laughs> Periscope's about as far as we've got. <laughs> doing a bit of live video every now and again, but, but that's it. Um, and where do people find you now um where, 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 what's your website what's your social media very uh, simple tags. it's all just beer with nat, beer with nat. so beerwithnat.com at beerwithnat on twitter instagram and facebook okay that's nice and simple all those links in the show notes final thoughts on the, the beer that we've already topped up <laughs> yeah, exactly. from cheshire brew house before yeah. we just finish up absolutely loving it yeah wonderful it's, it's really delicious yeah. isn't it that and that sort of burnt sugar dark chocolate bitterness at the end it just goes on forever and it's it's just delightful but it makes you want to come back for it yeah yeah so it's got that enough dryness that you go i need to refresh i need to refresh yeah Yeah, so he's managed to make it eight percent plus but feel like you should be sessioning it so again 
dangerously drinkable. Yeah. Um, so just before we finish up, we do have uh, a giveaway that we did on our last show to, to, to sort out. Um, and we like to do these when we've got a guest because it makes it a little bit independent. Yeah. Um, so we had three of the uh, New Opinions artwork, A5 uh, prints which Martin and I have signed to give away to some listeners um, Nat has got all the names in a pre-prepared envelope and, and she's just going to pull us out three winners right now look at that, there hundreds uh, yes. give it a shake <laughs> alright, the winner is oh, am I pulling out three? is that what you said? Uh, yeah, yeah, just, just three names, yeah. three names okay. straight out of there there is one for you ok, so the first one is uh, Craig Henderson at the MCR Smoggy Number two is Mark at Kelfired. And the third and final winner is James Wiggins at Jimmy Wiggs. So uh, if the three winners would like to DM us your addresses, we'll get them in the post to you as soon as possible. Congratulations, well done. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you very much, Nat, for pulling those out of the envelope. Yes, and Nat, thank you very much for giving up your evening. To, to, to talk to us and evening, to educate evening, us evening slash night now yes yeah, <laughs> to educate us a little bit we've, we've learned a lot tonight it's been fantastic to talk to you uh, and listen to your own journey um, and, and also to kind of put you in the hot seat on a podcast as well so you know yeah, what it's like on, on the other <laughs> yeah. side thank you for having me for all these amazing beers and I'm so impressed by you, all, how engaged all of your listeners are it's really lovely to see the community that you guys have created. So well it's definitely done. the best, be, definitely the best bit about doing this. Yes, absolutely, w- w- without a doubt. So next show, next show is at the home studio. We, we are back at the home studio, and we are going to do another one of our fantasy-themed fantasy. shows, which I think we're going to do uh, a suggestion that was made by uh, the Owl Lady. Yeah, uh, which is. Five people living, living. Five living people that you want to buy a beer for that you've never met. That you've never met. Oh. So, if any of our listeners have got any suggestions, please let us know. And yeah. We'll look to include that in the next show. Um, we're struggling with our lists at the moment. I'm, I'm, I've got to four. I got two straight away, and then two I thought about. I'm still actually missing one. Yeah. That's mainly because Steve said I couldn't have every person who's played the Doctor. No, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'll get there with Need it. a bit more variety. Yeah, yeah. apparently. But I'm, I'm looking forward to that show, so that should be a good one. Yeah, uh, again, uh, we've had some real fun with these fancy themes, and we've got quite a long list of them now, and keep them coming in, because they're, they're actually really good suggestions. Yeah. After, after the, uh, the the thought that we've had to put in tonight's, into tonight's discussion, it'll be quite a nice break as well to, to do something <laughs> yeah, not, we'll have, we'll have not no facts. serious. <laughs> yeah, no facts. No facts whatsoever. Um, it's been a fantastic evening. Uh, I've really enjoyed chatting with you, Nat. Thanks again for, for, for coming on. Um, cheers. Cheers. cheers.